there's only one snack that can make me feel like I'm having the true movie theater experience, and that's popcorn. When my mom and I hang in for a girl's night, we have to get our fix, and that's where Kelly's Killer Popcorn comes in. They're a small batch gourmet popcorn company, and believe me, one bite and you'll be hooked. Made in Austin, Texas, this family-owned business has tons of flavors. My mom loves their salted agave caramel, while I have a hard time picking between black pepper or dill pickle. Hmm, maybe I'll just mix the bags together. Oh, and when my dad and brother crash our girls' night, you know that spicy nacho popcorn is coming out. Every flavor is popped in 100% real butter and is whole grain and gluten-free. Which flavor will you be choosing? Head on over to kellyskillerpopcorn.com to indulge yourself in some scary good gourmet popcorn. And make sure to tag them on Instagram at kellyskillerpopcorn so that they can see what movie you're pairing with their flavors. That's kellyskillerpopcorn.com for American-made, small-batch, delicious popcorn. I might be vegetarian, but that doesn't mean I can't enjoy a good spice rub. My favorite place to get them is Smoked Bros, a veteran-owned and operated business that sells premium handcrafted dry rubs, spice blends, and seasonings. Guys, you can even put it on your popcorn. My favorites are Honey Badger, because he doesn't give a bleep, and Jelly and Peanut Flavor Topping, because mm, 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 some things just taste better together. The website even has recipes, so go check out smokedbros.com to support a veteran-owned and operated business and fill your cabinet with delicious flavor. On this episode of the Video Archives podcast, you'd call them gross. We'd say they're wild. Quentin Tarantino and Roger Avery have the sun in their eyes as they watch Sergio Corbucci's chaos and mud-soaked Sonny and Jed. We begin with a brief history of Corbucci and Leone's working relationship. Then, we're on to discussing Corbucci's villains, the skill of the camera operators, and Telly Savalas' role in the film. This movie is the reason why the West was called wild. Next, Roger and Quentin watch a movie with dozens of titles, but we here at Video Archives know it as Mr. Scarface. Tony, a mob loan collector, teams up with Napoleon, hatches a plan to steal millions from mob boss Mr. Scarface, played by Video Archive's favorite Jack Palance. This is revenge, Italian style. Roger and Quentin talk sans spoilers about the movie, discuss the elaborate, strange, and goofy action, and give us a history on director Fernando DeLeo. And, pulling into the finish line, Roger and Quentin finally sit down to watch our very first documentary, the greatest funny car movie ever made, American Nitro. Featuring drivers such as Don the Snake Perdome, Tom the Mongoose McEwen, Shirley Chacha Muldoni, and TV Tommy Ivo, we're putting rubber to the road with spectacular crashes, crazy cars, and a whole lot of boobies. All of this and more on today's episode of the Video Archives podcast. I'm your girl, Gala Avery, and joining us now, here's Quentin Tarantino and Roger Avery. Thank you, Gala, and welcome to the Video Archives podcast. Kill the Bakalov. And I am your host, Quentin Tarantino. And I'm your other host, Roger Avery. I'm very, I'm very excited about tonight's episode. We have three very interesting movies. Um, you're excited because you love going to the drive-in. Yeah, I do like going to the drive-in. I like it when we have like a, a drive-in triple feature of uh, <laughs> what normally would be our third features right? <laughs> on this. We have like, no, all three of them are, are a drive-in triple bill. But I'm excited about this one, one because 
our double feature that starts the episode, uh, Sonny and Jed and Mr. Scarface, I think is one of the most enjoyable double features that me and you had together, all right, since we started the we show. We had a great time watching these it, movies. It was just so much fun. But they're also, you know, they're both two Italian movies and their Italianness really worked well with each other. But also they're directed by two of my, not only just favorite Italian genre directors, but two of my favorite directors, regardless. Completely. Is uh, uh, Sergio Cabucci and Fernando DeLeo. You know, we never really talked about those guys when we were, uh, you know, in our younger days when we hung around. Definitely never talked about um, Fernando DeLeo. Yeah. Um, it, and he was a discovery for me. And mm-hmm. Corbucci, I was mm-hmm. very limited in what I... Yeah, I think you've seen Django and you've seen yeah. El Grande Silencio. And at that yeah. time, back in archives, mm-hmm. it was it was Django. Django yeah, 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 was yeah. the movie I had seen. So. Yeah. You know, so it was especially gratifying for me because I was you know, I was hoping you would respond as well as, as, as you did and as well as, as much as I do. And, and you did even beyond what I thought you were going to respond to. Corbucci is a very special kind of filmmaker who speaks really to me mm-hmm. because of his unapologetic nature. Mm-hmm, and yeah, uh, he doesn't apologize at all oh, yeah, yeah. for his characters. Yeah. But, you know, but I mean, what really knocked me out was just how, you know, I've always just said, you know, he is, he's one of the greatest Western directors who ever lived. He's one of the great action filmmakers who ever lived. He's, he's at the tip top of the action filmmaking game, which I actually think is one of the, is the most cinematic game a, a director can do, all right, is yeah. to be a master of, of cinema action. Absolutely. And, and in fact, it's not even his action mm-hmm. that was so, I mean, his action mm-hmm. is absolutely impressive, but mm-hmm. he impresses even on, you know, just mundane moments. Mm-hmm. It, it just felt like he was in his element and he's with his crew. His crew is, has a, has a shorthand with him. Mm-hmm. They're doing things that are, subliminal mm-hmm. to us. The effortlessness of the mastery involved in some of those sequences, you don't get that good until you've made 30 movies. Yeah. That's yeah. True. When you've made 30 movies and you know what you're doing there, you know, now it's just kind of coming off, you know, like, like sparks coming off your fingers, you yeah. know? And I think really the only director now that can compare in that regards of having done so many movies and that effortlessness is at the fingertips is Spielberg. Yeah. I was just going to say Spielberg and- That's and- it. That's it. But, There's not an effortlessness to Scorsese's work. There's effort involved. And that's what yeah. makes it good. You, right. you feel as though even on a movie that of Spielberg's that I don't like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a terrible movie by him is still a perfectly made movie. Yeah, exactly. The one we're talking about of, of Corbucci's today is uh, Sonny and Jed, starring Thomas Millian, Susan George, and uh, a fantastic Telly Savalas. Yeah. A quick rundown on uh, Sergio Cabucci, as he's described in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where uh, Rick Dalton goes to Italy to make Nebraska Jim starring him. You know, he goes, well, who's Sergio Cabucci? He goes, he's the second greatest director of spaghetti westerns in the whole wide world. <laughs> uh, um, he was the most prolific of the, of the great spaghetti western directors. And him and Leone uh, started out together. They both started out as critics together. You know, the way people romanticize the French New Wave starting off as critics. Well, the Italian genre filmmakers, all of them, Ducio Tassari, uh, Franco Giraldi, uh, Sergio Corbucci, uh, Sergio Leone, all started off as film critics. Yeah, he was like a critic for Stars and Stripes, wasn't he? I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know where he wrote. I don't yeah, know where for they. A while, just, just in post-war, he uh-huh. uh, like as a young man, mm-hmm. he, he, he was at a film journal. And I think that all went to shit during the war. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then afterwards, he he signed up on for Stars and Stripes. Oh, and that became, be- and became their film critic, which is fascinating. So he actually wrote reviews in English. 
I I presume so. Yeah. Well, I wrote them in Italian, then maybe they got translated. I I haven't read a single review out of Stars and Stripes ever in my life, but I can imagine Mm -hmm. that if he was writing it, it must have been in English. And then he went from being a film critic to being a very popular screenwriter. And then he became, along with Leone, one of the great uh, uh, second unit action directors. And uh, they they both got their shot at uh, directing on their own because they both worked as second unit directors on um, one of the huge peplums, uh, The Last Days of Pompeii. That movie became such a smash hit, but then it became very obvious that the thing that made it such a smash hit were the action scenes directed by both Leone and Corbucci, that that got them their first gigs on their own. And what's actually- God, that's a, that sounds like- a great film to watch. Yeah, I know. Kabuchi and Leone, yeah. you're like, you know, doing all the good shit in it, you know? Yeah. And then people try to give them credit for it. And then both Leone and Kabuchi, no, 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 no. The director of that movie was the director of that movie. I mean, look, we did the action scenes. That was our fucking job. All right. You know, but no, but he deserves the credit for movie. It, it's his movie. I wouldn't have done that movie exactly that way, but I did the action scenes that way. But it was just, it was just such a smash hit that, you know, everybody involved with that movie just, you know, reap the benefits They from all it. elevated, yeah. From they it. all elevated from it. Corbucci didn't necessarily do the giant canvas epics that Leone specialized in, doing more down and dirty revenge stories, down mm-hmm. and dirty cowboy pictures. Um, but interestingly enough, his first film as, I believe it's his first film as a director, well, at least the first film coming off of the success of uh, Last Days of Pompeii, is actually his biggest epic, is uh, Duel of the Titans, mm. which is maybe the best done epic of the peplums. And I'm not the, I'm not a big fan of the peplums. Describe for our audience what a peplum. Okay, peplum is, is uh, it's the genre in Italy that took off after uh, the magnificent success of uh, Steve Reeves' film Hercules. Yeah. You know, a series of... Uh, uh, Roman set adventure films, usually starring muscle men. Yeah. Sword and sandals. Sword and sandals. They're also known as sword and sandal yeah. movies. Yeah, Peplum is a more, you know, uh, uh, yeah. prestigious way of yeah, saying it. Of course. It. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's it's crazy how popular that genre became. And they predate the spaghetti westerns. And pretty much almost all the we- the directors of spaghetti westerns all came from the Peplums. Yeah. So they came from the Peplums and moved over into spaghetti westerns. And then they moved over into Jallos. And they moved over into Poliziers and... Whatever, whatever fad was going on in the movies. What, yeah, time. exactly. So one of the things about Corbucci when he started doing spaghetti westerns is part of the thing that what makes a, the great Western directors great is they forge their own version of the West. Mm. Anthony Mann's version of the West was not Howard Hawks mm-hmm. and it was not John Ford. And in the case of Sergio Corbucci, there is nobody who specialized in doing Westerns that committed to as surreal, as cynical, and as surrealistically violent a West as the Westerns of Sergio Kabuchi. Yeah, if Ken Russell had made mm-hmm. a Western, mm-hmm. he might be in contention. I think you might be right. And, you know. but, but he didn't, and so he's not. And he, yeah. <laughs> and he would have to have made four of them. It also, it takes an outsider Mm-hmm. To understand America, mm-hmm. you have to be on the outside of it to really look at it. That's why, you know, a river runs through it, shot by a Frenchman, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, views the American landscape in a way that an American DP might not see it the same way. He mm-hmm. might not, you know, be be able to see it the same way because he's too far on the inside. Mm-hmm. And 
these Italians making, you know, their thesis mm, yeah, yeah. on the on America, and and come and these guys who grew up, you know, during war under fascism. Oh yeah, and well, that's an important part of it's a massively I, important. Well, it's part an, of it. it's a mo- one of the most important parts of, about Carucci's entire oeuvre was growing yeah. up under fascism. And so, you know, he's viewing all of this, and then they're also making these examinations of America, and in doing so, they're looking more, I think, at. Um, what human nature was like during mm-hmm. what we can call the mud flood period, which, mm-hmm. you know, America is this, in Corbucci's mind, this mud covered mm-hmm. place. And the mud is almost symbolic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, yeah. I've never seen more mud in a Western than under Corbucci's watch. Oh, yeah. Well, no, I mean, you know, the muddy streets in Django are just a fucking revelation. I mean, yeah. It's just a, re- a revelation of dirt and grime and just of atmosphere. I mean, yeah. it's just. One of the greatest Western sets of all time. Uh, he, apparently, he almost destroyed that studio. That studio was never able to get the mud. <laughs> one, one of my one of my notes was, you know, like it takes an outsider to observe as viciously and honestly as Corbucci does in his thesis on America in the late 1800s. He correctly observes that unregulated human behavior is both a product of and responsible for the rape, murder, theft, pedophilia, graft, corruption, and a veritable cornucopia of cretinous constitutionals that built this country to become the glory that it is today. Like that's no, that, that's very well said. And the last piece I'll make about Kerbucci before we get into this movie straight up, Kerbucci was less interested in the concept of a hero leading his stories than any Western director ever. Uh, I would even throw a, a, a Peckinpah in that because it's obvious Peckinpah considers Pat Garrett a hero. Yeah. All right, and Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid to some degree or another. Um, you know, and he definitely considers uh, the bastards in, in the Wild Bunch heroic for for sacrificing their lives yeah. to save Angel. And I agree too. I I think they are too. Um, but in Kerbucci's case, after he did uh, Minnesota Clay, with uh, uh, Cameron Mitchell. That was the last of his heroic Westerns for, for except for one standalone one, which is uh, uh, Le Specialiste with Johnny Halliday. Mm-hmm. You cannot call the leads, the protagonists of Kerbucci movies as heroic. They're not heroic. The, the best you can say about them is they're Avengers. They usually have a blood-soaked revenge in their mind that they're trying to uh, uh, quench the thirst of. But there's nothing heroic about them. And... He defies the heroism. They defy heroism. But the thing that's also important about them is, as opposed to most Western directors, where it's their heroic figure that kind of sets the tale, that sets the the landscape of the West that they're going to be betrayed in. That's not the case in Corbucci. It is his villains. It is his villains that rule the show. It is his villains uh, uh, that set the pace. None of the other uh, uh, archetypes that that show up in the movie, whether it be civilization in regards to the towns, uh, the, the town people that are represented in the movie, which represents civilization, which he thinks is a a cesspool. Mm-hmm. They pretty much deserve almost everything they get. Yeah. Um, and then there's the bandito characters that uh, they're actually obviously Kerbucci's favorite of the characters, mm-hmm. the ones that lives outside the law. Uh, you know, the ugly characters of the good and the bad. They're all versions of Tuco. Yeah. But nobody can fulfill their archetypal function except in contrast to the villain. And the villains represent fascism. They represent fascism in every way. They, they, they're either representing the Nazi party, they're representing uh, Mussolini's brown shirts, they're representing the Manson family. Uh, but part of the point of that is the idea that um, it's only the supreme evil of the villains that 
can even cast the lead protagonist as anything close to a hero. Yeah. Only by their hatred of, of the fascistic villains do they have a, a, a heroic patina about them. And in another movie, they would be the bad guys. Yeah. Sonny and Jen, they changed the West a little. And each other a lot. I declare you man and wife from now till it's death when you fish. are hot. Unless you wish something more. Your wallet. Wallet? Yeah, your wallet. Didn't you hear her? And if somebody asks you who robbed you, you said Jed and Sonny Trigado. Sonny the West. Wild. So after saying all that, we now jump to what is officially Kerbucci's last serious, as funny as it is, all right, uh, what is essentially Kerbucci's last serious Western. The last official Western he would do is a, a comedy called uh, uh, The Red, the Black, and the Yellow. And it's uh, I don't like a lot of Italian comedies, and I don't think it's fun, very funny. Um, it's also unique because it definitely takes place in the 70s. It does not have the same feel of his late 60s movies. I mean, they, they cuss, they, they say fuck a lot. It seems to throw away the cowboy dialect, all right, at some point. So it just sounds like a modern movie. Yeah, completely, especially with Telly Savalas. Especially with Telly yeah. Savalas. I mean, he, he, takes, he takes the lead in that. He, I mean, t- he definitely takes Almost has a lollipop in his mouth yeah, as he's right. walking through this. Sonny and Jet is, is more or less Kabuchi's attempt to do a Bonnie and Clyde and set it out west. However, while it does have definitely Bonnie and Clyde-like vibes, to me, the way it plays is closer to Charlie Manson and Squeaky Fromm out west, yeah. where he looks almost exactly like Charles Manson. She looks almost exactly like Squeaky Fromm. Yeah, yeah I mean, to a, to a startling degree. Now, I'm going to read the back of the box. Now, the thing is, the m- movie we watched is a beautiful uh, Japanese tape that I picked up that had Japanese subtitles. Uh, that I picked up Letterbox, which was unheard of. And I picked this up in the 90s, all right, yeah. when I was like doing a, a publicity tour in Japan. Unheard of, but not in Japan. In Japan, yeah, 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 like uh-huh. they were very... Uh, and this box is one of the just best boxes yeah, I have. Now, at Archives, <laughs> we had a piece of shit. <laughs> Super light tape. Uh, yeah. An uh, almost like helium Oh, no, no, tape. no. It, no it, <laughs> you look at it. it, it you know, it, it's, it's definitely done in the six-hour mode yeah, with a gigantic was, wheel. That was originally like a, a tape for a few trailers. Or yeah, something. exactly. And this was literally, yeah, yeah tape for a like a 20 how, minute trailer. Of like, oh, how, that's my how, reel. How to operate your VCR tape. All right. <laughs> uh, an entire feature film was put on it uh, in the, in the, maybe the nine hour mode. And a truly terrible pan and scan where I actually tried to watch this tape at archive, not, not in archive, but when we had it at archives. And I turned it off because I, I, I knew what I was watching was so. Was such a, a destruction of the was such a destruction the of the movie that I like. Oh, this looks really good. I well, can't especially I can't watch with it this the beautiful way. widescreen photography that's going on here. And all of the work done by Louis Quadrati, the DP. Okay, is just so stunning that okay. It so no, okay, it's a good transfer. Okay, but no. Also, as I read the back of this box, and you're going to read the back of the archives. Yeah, box. I'm going to read the back. Well, let's see. Well, I can't read the back of the Japanese one. Yeah, all right. Well, you, know, you, uh, could, uh, you could try. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't. Gala might be able to read the back of the Japanese box. <laughs> but the back of the archives box, okay, uh, again, understand, the tape company has no idea who Thomas Milian is, <laughs> but it definitely knows who Telly Cephalus is. <laughs> so it will be an skewed version of the story, all right? So Sonny and Jed, starring Telly Cephalus and Susan George. <laughs> 
Rough, tough, and fast-paced Western action. Susan George is a naive young girl determined to become an outlaw. She joins forces with the West's most famous gunslinger. No name, no nothing. All right? Assuming he's Jed. Telly Savalas stars as the ruthless man who is equally determined to bring them both in, dead or alive. The fast and furious turn of events that follow is Western action at its best. And But what I really like is the, the, the tagline on the front of the thing. Tough, gritty, and real. This is a must-see movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. But you know what? It is. It's tough. It's gritty. And it. it I, th- I think it is real. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's more real than any other take. Because what he's doing is he's looking at human behavior. And he's looking at the at the extremities of human behavior. It's exactly what Ken Russell does. And it's why I love Ken Russell so much. Mm-hmm. One of the points I was making earlier in talking about Corbucci's career overall was his desire to diminish the role of the hero mm-hmm. to the point that by the time he gets to El Grande Silencio, he just removes the hero's voice and, make, and, and, and makes him a mute, basically reducing him to a costume. Yeah. The film is about, uh, uh, um, a better description than the back of the box would be Thomas Melian plays a, uh, a filthy outlaw character named uh, Jed Trigato. He meets this character who ends up helping him out, Sonny, who's this young girl played by Susan George. Now, Susan George, I think, was probably about 26 or 27 at the time. But it's pretty obvious that Sonny in the movie is supposed to be a young girl. You get the impression she's like 15 or 16. That's that kind of, it seems like the point. It's it's also worth noting that mm-hmm. at the very very beginning, everyone thinks she's a young boy. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, even Jed, even how, Jed when he first meets her thinks she's a boy. Yeah, everybody yeah. thinks she's a boy, just a dirty faced, you know. Uh, yeah, the boy. people in the town know better because they're like, oh, maybe you know that young girl, yeah, you know that girl, the gravedigger's daughter that dresses like a boy all the time. She's trying to rob the stagecoach. coach. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so Jed Jed takes her along, but treats her like shit, like a you know, like a surf, basically. Like a dog. Yeah, like a dog. And he he actually says, like a dog. You're a virgin, you're a woman, you're no better than a dog. Yeah. You watch the movie, you know, and you don't like Jed at all. I mean, he's... Well, that's the amazing challenge that Corbucci it, it, is it, it, presenting it, it, to us. He is He's unapologetically putting this character who is unsavory in every way to all of our sensibilities mm-hmm. that civilization yeah. has taught us. I agree. I absolutely agree. And one of the things- From the way he eats, from the way he like molests her, from the way he treats other people, like everything about him is unsavory and yet- Everything is unsavory (laughs) and it's a constant challenge because just by sheer virtue of Thomas Mignolan's Jed Trivago being the protagonist, we kind of want to like him even though we don't. And then they give you a couple of instances where maybe we can start liking him and maybe he has changed. And then just the moment we start feeling that, he does something completely contrary to that that makes us dislike him again. I mean, it's one of the, like, I am just, I am all about directors and screenwriters that challenge their audience. And I'm I'm not in the go, oh, I didn't like that character. Well, fuck you. You're not supposed to like every fucking character. You got to like everybody. All right. It's a fucking movie. All right. Challenge yourself. You know, and it's just, it's a constant challenge. It's a constant, almost affront to the audience of what they will sit for and what, and, and, and what they can stand. Well, the thing is, his character is reprehensible in our world. Yeah. 
But in this world that Corbucci creates, by contrast to the corruption and graft of the good elements in that world, Mm -hmm. he's actually a neutral character in some ways. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This is the old West. Yeah. This is how Corbucci views Mm -hmm. the American West, a savage place. And I will have to say that this was my second time seeing the movie. The first time I watched it, I liked the movie. I loved two sequences, which I think are like two of Corbucci's greatest action sequences ever. It was like the opening 10 minutes and then the scene in the corn barn. That corn barn action sequence. And, it's, and that it's crazy, fucking incredible. That, it's, yeah, that's done. And, and hearing you mention that he was an action, a mm-hmm. second unit action director. I mean, it, here it shows. It, it's it's, here it's it shows. mind-blowing yeah. how good it is. Yeah. Uh, you know? um, it's actually kind of beautiful. It like, is. The definitely. way that... He's hiding in this hiding in a, grain uh, uh, under all this corn yeah. and a, a, a lantern or something, an oil lantern. No, uh, no, no. Uh, Telly's Voss literally makes a Molotov cocktail. It's a Molotov cocktail, of course. <laughs> of course, it's a Molotov and they're, and they're cocktail. And looking, they're looking for Jed and Sonny by, by, by sticking pitchforks in the corn. trying to. They, and when they, they, they know he's hiding there. They go, no, 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 stop. Yeah, <laughs> let's Voss. have some fun. No, let's no, make no, some no, popcorn. No, 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 stop. <laughs> You got to cook a pig before you stick a fork in it. Yeah. And he says it like he's like, you know, in Jersey. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Saying it. <laughs> and, but the way that fire spreads. Oh, it's just amazing. And the chaos and in the, the room. And the chaos that happens and, afterwards. And the horse, you know, uh, her on the horse, like getting downed inside. Yeah, yeah. Of, is, is, uh, it's, it's, it's a breathtaking sequence. But I was turned off by Jed's loathsomeness. And so I... So I always considered this a half-successful Corbucci film. And consequently, I haven't seen it for many, many years. And since the 90s when I bought this in Japan. So I watched it a second time with you. And I have a different feeling of it. I love it. I think I can't imagine a better Western for him to end his Western career on. I think this is as powerful a movie as you're going to see. And it is not just those two sequences. Every fucking scene in it is well, terrific. And then the things that frustrated me before, they still frustrate me now, but now, I, now I'm enjoying being antagonized. Now I'm enjoying the frustration. Well, I'm enjoying the challenge that he's throwing down. And the, fa- and, 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 and the thing that is unrefutable is the fact that as a performer, Thomas Millian does not give a fuck if the audience likes him or not. He does not give a fuck if he the audience- He gives less of a fuck than Corbucci. He <laughs> gives less than a fuck than Corbucci. He just doesn't give a shit. He is not doing anything for the audience. He's doing it to the He's audience. He's challenging the audience. And Corbucci is coming from the same fucking place. He is not trying to make Jed Trigato likable for you. I made a note that- uh, I've often been accused of populating my films with unlikable characters, mm. and I've always gotten trashed over that. But Corbucci makes me feel fine ignoring those criticisms. <laughs> <laughs> like Ken Russell, a favorite pleasure of mine, Corbucci is unapologetic for his characters and probably also like Russell, takes great glee in offending the sensibilities of his audience. Mm-hmm. And that is the point. He is trying to uh, take them from a somnambulist state mm-hmm. and he's figuring they have to be woken and he's fine to be the guy to wake them. Mm-hmm. You know, he just starts and it's, it is a form of the kind of Antonin Artaud uh, theater of cruelty where um, the audience needs to be woken up through violence, mm-hmm. through, uh, through noise, through getting slapped in the face, not literally, but 
you know, through things that they're not used to so seeing. The theater because, of cruelty, right? Yeah. yeah, the theater of cruelty is the the concept behind it. And Antonin Artaud's, uh, and he was sort of a surrealist, but mm-hmm. his whole theory was that well, it's the slicing of the eyeball and uh, yeah, dog. Yeah. the the <laughs> audience is asleep, mostly because they've been, you know, just programmed. By by, Boy, by that, many movies. If that was ever truer than now, I, yeah. I, that was then. Yeah, <laughs> that's just the way it's been since the two thousand. Yeah, the audience is fucking asleep. I mean, we have a movie where a guy basically starts raping. I think who he thinks is a little boy. No, no, no. He realizes she's a girl. That's why he's like, oh my God, you're a girl. All right. Oh, well, I'll show you what I do to women. Yeah, what I do to women. And then he's like, you know, and then he realizes, oh, as he's trying to enter her, you're you're a virgin. Yeah, exactly. And and you know why he realizes she's a virgin is her vagina's too tight. Yeah. He can't get it in. Yeah, he can't. And so he's like, ah, I hate virgins. I mean, the only reason he doesn't fuck her is because she's a virgin, because he can't, because he can't. How can, (laughs) how can anyone ever like come to like a character like that and root for a character like that. And that's the thought experiment that Corbucci wants to go on. Yes. <laughs> and I did not root for him. Uh, in the first time I watched it, I did not root for him. I end up coming up with a secondary reading of the movie. But watching it now, many years later, watching it with you the other day, I was rooting for Sonny and Jed by the end. By the end, I was. With all of Jed's problems, uh, I was on their side. And I wanted them to be together. Yeah, I did too. I, weirdly enough, weirdly enough, I did. Well, there's, they're mis- if they are, if they actually, they're get, misfits because and if they, they actually together. get together, that means Sonny wins. Yeah, and there's no, and one- that's important because, like, even though we're ambiguous about how we feel or not ambiguous about how we feel about Jed, we are not ambiguous about Sonny. We are completely on Sonny's side. Yeah, she's not a hero. She's a weird victim slash. Almost sort of villain. She's a little right. bit of a misfit. Yeah. She's a little but bit that, of a misfit. But that's normal for Kabuchi's characters because his-, his Her ma- father's dead. He's the grave digger. Her, He's got no future. And- her male character, his male characters are all set up as specific archetypes, but his female characters usually border two of the archetypes together, like victim and villain or victim and hero. You know, they're always- Well, like Squeaky From, she might may have a little Stockholm syndrome. Mm-hmm, I mean, yeah, his yeah. abuse of her is one of the things that, you know, she somehow- overcomes and because he's also a great protector mm-hmm. you know he may he's a violent character mm-hmm. but but, it, yeah, but, but in the but in the end when like shit is happening to her he doesn't even want to get involved but in the end his better nature mm-hmm. eventually takes over well it, and, it, it you know it does also talk about our own as a viewer genre film viewer our phantom limb syndrome that when we're not given a hero to respond to we want to respond Anyway, so we almost have a phantom limb pulsating. Like, for instance, he treats her so shitty in the whole first 45 minutes. But in that scene where she ends up killing that guy and saving him, mm-hmm. and he get, hey, well done, well done, snot nose, you actually feel good. You actually, it, it, it has an effect on you. That, that, that's what I mean about the phantom limb syndrome. You know, you're happy that she's finally Completely. distinguished herself in his eyes and yeah. you're proud of her. It's almost done as a throwaway gesture mm-hmm. in the middle of a conversation. Yeah. Like, you know, it, it, it's almost secondary. It's meant to be in the peripheral mm-hmm. of your vision. Mm-hmm. And he's such a master that he just elegant like watching a, a dance move and then, in the, in the, it's like watching a ballet move uh-huh. in the middle of a jitterbug mm-hmm. in the middle of a dialogue sequence and even the ambiguousness that we're supposed to feel towards jed is sustained through the entire movie until the last scene 
All right. Yeah. It's the last scene where Jed finally says the kind of things you want Jed to say, where, where Sonny has the upper hand. It's not yeah. until the last scene. But then, but they get just perfect for Jed. The last line of the film is Jed yelling to Sonny, I love you, you motherfucker. Yeah. That's the last line of the movie. <laughs> it was funny, all the kind of, fuck you, like the, the, the. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the weird kind of 1970s vulgar language brought into yeah, uh-huh. uh, the old west was it's, yeah it's really it's you know, really funny also um I started noticing these tiny lens flares occurring. Oh my God, that was in, amazing when in, you pointed that out. In the corner of frame. Yeah. And I started noticing when they were playing and what was happening and the way this was achieved. Like if you watch this in widescreen, you'll mm-hmm. see. In the usually in the upper right or left corners of uh, mm-hmm. the widescreen frame, there's kind of like a flashing occurring, like a little mm-hmm. bit of flaring yeah. occurring. It's subtle. And it's very small. It's very small. And what that is, it's an assistant mm-hmm. with a tiny pen light uh-huh. just waving it into the lens and creating a flash. Mm-hmm. It's an assistant subliminally, emotionally adding an element to the frame. And I thought about what mm-hmm. is this? And it, even when you describe it, it sounds like a bigger effect. That, I mean, it's, it's, like, it's, it's a tiny effect. It, it's, it's almost unnoticeable. Like, a, like the, you know, the size of a penny. It is subliminal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it uh-huh. is subliminal. And I, I thought about what it was and I realized, okay, it's, it's a little tiny bit of flare. It's occurring in the early parts of the movie. And it's whenever Sonny is showing up and kind of chasing after mm-hmm. Jed. Yeah, uh-huh. And I realize it's the sun in his eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's sunny in Jed's oh, eyes. Oh wow! And right, yeah. and sh- and then I started thinking about the name Sunny, mm-hmm. and um, the fact that she's named Sunny. It's spelled S O N N Y, which I I, mean, it seems like it should be spelled S U N N Y. All right. <laughs> it, it, well, it, it should be, and I think it, that's the thing is she's actually bringing sun into his life. Yes, uh-huh. she's bringing light into his life. Mm-hmm. And they're literally hinting at that subliminally through mm-hmm. this little pen light flare that they're doing. And then which all- is the kind of thing that you only do after you've made 30 movies yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. because you're comfortable enough and you, your crew is comfortable enough and, and you, you tell your crew, hey, when this is happening and you leave it up to your assistants. Mm-hmm. And then you got on top of that, you have a magnificent Morricone score with I think one of his most you know, catchy and memorable once you know it, uh, theme songs. Yeah. Oh, uh, just like, uh, sunny, sunny, which is another, which is another <laughs> cue. They keep saying sunny yeah, uh-huh, in the song yeah, when it, uh-huh. it's like a, a spirit calling mm-hmm. to him. And it's like, it's almost like a mantra coming to him. Yeah. Uh-huh. Sunny. Oh, and, constantly. and, and I, it's just the use of the song. The first time that Sunny and Jed actually see each other. Yeah. I mean, that's just, it's, it's what a sequence. And another thing about- That whole opening 10 minutes is just- Well, another thing about these assistants- A masterclass in filmmaking. These assistants, like how good they are, because they're using zoom lenses mm-hmm. and they're using them like they're just, like it's an extension of their own bodies. Yeah, yeah. Because- Oh my God, those zoom shots. There'll be this incredible- You pointed out the one that I didn't even notice until like- Yeah, they're like, I think no. that was the one where they're, they're she's yeah, on horseback they, or something. Or they're, they're, yeah, they're riding a horseback in the rain and then, yeah. yeah. It, incredible. In the beginning of the corn sequence. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're in the rain, the camera is moving. First of all, it's- it's raining, mm-hmm. uh, so they're uh, and it looks like real rain. It doesn't look like a, it doesn't look like a rain machine. It's real rain. Everything is wet. <laughs> they, they come in. There's this long. Sh- it's a zoom that pulls out of them mm-hmm. into a wide shot as they go into a barn, and then mm-hmm. and then you realize, wait a minute, this zoom that mm-hmm. was tight on their faces in a low light condition, which mm-hmm. I mean, on film mm-hmm. in the rain, like mm-hmm. everything about it makes it more difficult. Yeah. 
you know, in the middle of all of this, they're they're actually doing this long dolly move yeah, at yeah, the uh, same time yeah. and zooming out and then elegantly panning to this big house. As they go in to this big house and then zooming into the window where we see Telly Savalas. Where we recognize that's Telly Savalas in the window. Back. And, and then, then it, it makes a, a match cut uh, right into. Unreal. Uh-huh. Like unbelievable skill to yeah. do that. And it you don't notice it because, you know, you're not paying attention to mm-hmm. you know, like the, the, the skill of the operators necessarily because, yeah. but these guys are the best. And the last thing that needs to be said that we haven't said, all right, is to talk about the Telly Savalas character in the film who is, what the film presents as, as as its antagonist, who is in a weird way the closest thing to a hero in the movie. Well, I mean, that was all that had always. He's been the my, hero of his own movie. Yeah, for yeah, sure. that's, that's always been my reading. Of and it. he's the hero of the the box. Well, there. well <laughs> that's because it's a crass video company yes. that doesn't know who the fuck Thomas Millian is. Telly Savalas gives a fantastic performance, and his look in that big fur coat that he wears is just like you can't it's 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 one of the most undeniable along with Sonny's buffalo coat all right it's one of these most undeniable images that just stays with you but um you you figure he's a lawman who's after Jetragato and he's got a, a, a group of deputies with him and he's after him for obviously some personal reason that movie goes on for the first half and you just never quite know why yeah he's almost like a pinkerton the, yeah, yeah the way he's going yeah, after yeah, so, yeah you figure he's like some, some big deal fucking marshal yeah all right or or he's some pinkerton guy yeah and i'm not going to reveal what the deal is all right but mid-movie jed tells a story about how the first time he killed somebody because sunny ended up killing somebody and it's 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 weighing on her she can't she can't quite get over it and he goes, well, like I was lucky and Jed says, hey, get over it, get over it, get over it. That guy would have fucking killed you. Mm-hmm. Don't even worry about it. Now, I had a little easier. The first time I killed somebody, I killed 12 people. <laughs> and you can't feel for 12 what you feel for one. <laughs> Spoken like Kerbucci. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Spoken like a guy who lived under fascism. Yeah. <laughs> Spoken like somebody who's seen the harder realities of the world. Absolutely. You know? Um and then he proceeds to tell this amazing story about what happened that ends up working into why Telly Savalas' character Francisco is after him. Yeah. And it's an a, relentlessly after yeah, him. And it's an amazing story. Now, if you're as well versed in Kerbucci's oeuvre as I am, a case could be made, one, because of how loathsome Thomas Leon presents himself through most of the movie and the whole Charles Manson aspect and the fact that they're presented as like hippie counterculture figures. And it's obvious that Kabuchi has nothing but contempt. Oh, he hates for, them. Has nothing but contempt <laughs> for hippie counterculture figures yeah. that is already established in his Johnny Holiday movie, The Specialist. Yeah. That's already known. That's known about him. <laughs> <laughs> that... Telly Savalas' character, Francisco's uh, arc, is very similar to the Avengers in other Carbucci movies. He is a man who is possessed with revenge over somebody. Uh, He has a right for that revenge. When you actually learn what happened, you can understand why he wants to kill Mm -hmm. Jed Trigato. And like some other Carbucci's characters, uh, Joseph Cotton's character in Hellbenders and uh, Burt Reynolds' character in Navajo Joe... He's so thirsty for revenge, he's slightly gone mad. Yeah. He, his, his, his it's unbalanced for, him almost. Yeah, his thirst for revenge has driven, has driven him mad. Yeah. I had an alternative, I think there is an alternative reading to be had where Corbucci is fucking with how he gives the story, that he's actually presenting his villains. 
as the protagonist. But the real hero, where he's coming from, is Francisco. Now, that was always my reading before, but partly because I only... I only like the movie so much. Now watching it, now this time, I think you can still go with that rating, but that seems more like a a, a fanciful rating. Now I actually do look at Sonny and Jed as the heroes. Yeah. I mean, it's... They're the heroes in in this world. But I don't look at... But I do not look at Francisco as the bad guy. I think he's an Avenger. He's not. In fact, you can only respect him Mm -hmm. because no matter what happens to him, Mm -hmm. he's... Blinded, yeah. If I can say that, yeah. I think he, he, he's blinded in the movie, and he won't stop. Well, well, he's, well he might have a gun in well, his face, the, and yeah. he's got a blind man's cane that yeah. he's clacking in front of him to get to his mark. Well, that's the thing that truly makes him a Kurbuchi hero is because part of the thing about Kurbuchi's characters is um, they always have like a, a comic book, almost superhero prowess that puts them above the other characters. Either it's because how fast they are with a gun or in the case of Navajo Joe, his blitzkrieg fighting style. They, they always have something that, 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 that gives them almost a superhero panache that, mm-hmm. that none of the other characters can beat them. But a thing that happens in, in quite a few of the movies, it happens in uh, 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 Django, it happens in uh, um, The Specialist, and it happens in uh, El Grande Silencio, is the very aspect that that always gives them an edge over the other characters is robbed from them in the final act and so the edge the 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 prowess that they have that has made them win throughout the entire movie is now stolen from them Mm -hmm. and that's almost what makes them heroes for the first time in the movie and sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't in a kabuchi movie but that's exactly what happens to telly savalas when he's blinded he still goes off and has a a showdown a face down with sonny and jed Robbed of his eyesight. Yeah. The most extreme fucking example of a Kerbucci Avenger. Want to know what your favorite writers, directors, actors, and photographers are secretly interested in? Check out The Gala Show, where each week a guest of my choosing brings an entirely new topic to the mic, and it can be anything they want to discuss. The catch? They only have 30 minutes. Join me, your reporter on the beat, Gala Avery, every Thursday for a new discussion on The Gala Show, available wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, and we're back, and we are joined by the lovely Gala. Hey, Gala. Hey, Quentin. Hey, Roger. Now, I just want to remind everybody that part of the thing with Gala is, uh, like the rest of you in uh, listener podcast land, uh, Gala does not have access to the Video Archives collection. So when we decide what movies we're going to see, it's Gala's job to go out there and try to track them down. Sometimes that's easy and sometimes that's more difficult. This week seems like it might be a difficult week. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, not for not for Mr. Scarface. That's under a zillion different terms. All right? but, uh, but definitely uh, maybe for American Nitro and yeah. Sonny and Chet. Right, um, so now, Gala, what is your take on Sonny and Chet? Okay, so Westerns are one of my favorite genres, but I am like a 
50s, 60s American Western fan, Bud Butterker mm-hmm. is like my my man. Yeah, she's literally into the buds. I uh-huh. love Bud uh-huh. Butterker. Uh-huh. Like Ride Lonesome, Comanche Station, but specifically Seven Men from Now. Yeah. I just think the script is so tight on that movie. Mm-hmm. Burt Kennedy, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, I loved Sonny and Jed. This movie... This movie's awesome. Okay, I hadn't seen a lot of Corbucci before. I had seen Django, mm-hmm. and then I watched uh, Ringo and His Golden Pistol. Oh, cool. Sonny and Jed is, to me, not as musical mm-hmm. as the other two movies, as yeah, yeah. the other Corbucci I've seen. I'd agree with that, yeah. But I love Corbucci's musicality and his mm-hmm. comedy. Like, those are like the special things, because you're mm-hmm. in this world, and it feels real because of the lighthearted comedy in it. Even when terrible things are happening. It's like absurd. Yeah. And I think actually this absurdity is what allows you to fall into eventually rooting for a character like Jed. Mm -hmm. Because I wrote down like buddy cop because when I was watching this movie, the relationship between Sonny and Jed is Mm -hmm. so bizarre. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, yeah, there is a little bit of Stockholm syndrome there. Definitely. (laughs) And as I'm watching it, I'm thinking, you know what? The Wild West is probably so bad that being like molested by a guy like Jed mm-hmm. is probably not the worst your life can be right now. Well, I mean, I looked at it and I was like, this is like a freaking Cormac McCarthy. It's like yeah, yeah, yeah. Blood Meridian or something. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. a, a bleak view of the Old West, but also so bleak that it's almost come around the other side and mm-hmm. become. Uh... Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I mean, the scene where like he, this, like I call it the second rape scene because mm-hmm. there's a scene where <laughs> Jed tries to rape her, mm-hmm. but then there's the scene where the, the whores at the whorehouse try to rape Sonny. Yeah. yeah. And that's almost the more violent one when all the women jump on her because they yeah. want her to become a whore just like them. And, oh, she's a virgin. She'll get $200. Well, by the way, by the way, the, the woman who plays the, the leader of the whorehouse, Laura Bette, is sort of like the Marine Sullivan, all right, yeah. of, of Italy. She's, you know, she's in Hatchet for a Honeymoon. She yeah. She's Donald Sutherland's... Uh, partner in uh, 1900. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's the one with, when, when they, they beat that kid, they yeah, bash yeah. that kid's head in. Okay, yeah. she, she's his partner in it, yeah. you know. So yeah. she's like a staple of Italian. Yeah, she's... She's, she's a, like the grand dam of yeah, Italian. Yeah, she's a staple. And part of the thing is, you, you know, when uh, when they see Sonny, when they go, okay, great. All right, well, uh, why don't you give us to her, all right? That scrawny bag problem, of bones. Yeah, uh, problem solved. Actually, has a great life. She goes, we've got a couple geezers, all right, that would love that skinny bag of bones. Yeah. I love how they call her a skinny bag of bones, but still fresh. Yeah, And right. it's like, ugh, like, I don't want to be here. Like, this would be worse to me being at mm-hmm. that whorehouse as a young girl mm-hmm. in the Wild West. Mm-hmm. I'd rather go take my chances with Jed. Well, one of the things about Sonny and Jed's um, exposure in America is it got a theatrical release. Sometime in the, I think, mid-70s, probably around 74, 75, by a very interesting uh, distributor. If you're a a Gen Xer like me and Roger, you grew up in the 70s, what of the record companies that you remember almost above all, maybe one of the first record companies I knew by name, was KTEL. Yeah. Because they would always offer up these... um, uh, cheap compilation albums. Yeah, these cheap compilation albums of the like, 22 explosive hits, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Looking Glass, Brandy, you're a fine girl. What a good wife you would be. Our, Albert Hammond, it never rains in Southern California. <laughs> <laughs> and, and while it's doing one song, four other names will scroll by that are on the album. Yeah. On the commercial. <laughs> Actually, I'm sure you can Bobby find- Bobby Goldsboro, see the tree, how big it's grown, my friend. It hasn't been too long. It was just a <laughs> I'm sure on YouTube you can see some KTEL Oh, you can. Oh, you yeah. definitely can. You definitely can. Um, well, KTEL also had, for a short period of time, a theatrical distribution line. And they basically, I think they only released, if I'm not mistaken, I think they only released about 
four movies. Um, one of them was a French Western, but all the rest of them were Italian films. So the films that they released were Sonny and Jet, the James Coburn, also with Telly Savalas Western, a spaghetti Western, uh, A Reason to Live, A Reason to Die, mm-hmm. which is James Coburn, uh, Telly Savalas, and uh, Bud Spencer. And uh, Antonio Margariti, Disney film ripoff, starring Dean Jones, Mr. Super Invisible. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Yeah. That's, what a great title. It's a great title. What a great the title. The movie's not quite as good as the title. The title, oh, the Mr. title. Super, yeah, Mr. Super Invisible is a great title. That is a great title. I want to see that movie bad. <laughs> I, I could watch Mr. I have a 16 print of it. I could watch Mr. Super Invisible again. Um, uh, and then the third one, is a French Western called The Legend of Frenchie King that starred Bridget Bardot and Claudia Cardinelli and Michael J. Pollard. <laughs> not as good of a title. <laughs> but, yeah, not as good as a title. Uh, but as still, Mr. Super Invisible. As Mr. Super Invisible, but still compelling. <laughs> no, I actually, uh, when I was doing my uh, uh, QT Film Fest in Austin, we uh, I had kitty matinees and we showed Mr. Super Invisible one time. Well, what's weird is you're talking about KTEL, which yeah. was like a mass market uh, delivery of songs compiled together. I mean, they were like... It's like Kids Bop. It's like Kids Bop. It's like... Com- well, or, or like, you know... Uh, now that's what I call that's music. That's what I call music. Yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. I call... Oh, yeah, not Kids Bop. Now that's what I call music. Yeah. yeah. But they also they also cut the shit down. So like, yeah, they'll have Layla, but they cut out the piano. <laughs> <laughs> Make it fit. <laughs> Gotta make it fit. It's like Layla without the piano part. It's just Fuck. bizarre to imagine KTEL, which you imagine is run by a bunch of, you know, guys out of you bottom know, line guys. Provo, and, Utah. And they're, and they're selecting this Carbucci movie that yeah, is yeah. a treatise on uh, the American West. Yeah, no, no, no. The, <laughs> the fact that they just started their releasing company, it basically just picked a bunch of Italian movies. Did they watch the movie, I wonder? I don't know. Because <laughs> it just feels out of sync with who they were. Yeah. But maybe. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> okay, now, Telly Savalas, he's my Blofeld. Mm-hmm. Like, when I think oh, of Blofeld, yeah, 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 I yeah, think yeah, of yeah, Telly oh, Savalas. You mean literally, like, he's, your he's my Blofeld. On, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, he is Blofeld. He's your for favorite. Me. When I see Blofeld in my mind, it's Telly Savalas. So, uh, I was Donald Pleasant. Yeah, yeah. Donald Pleasant. I'm a Donald Pleasant guy. Pleasant. I was just Donald about to. Pleasant. I was just about to invoke he's Donald a, Pleasant. He's a pretender to the throne. <laughs> the table is divided. My slice of the pie is getting smaller and smaller. It's just a third. It's just a third. <laughs> he's a thrush agent that wandered into a James Bond. <laughs> well, he's my Blofeld. No. Quentin earlier mentioned like the amazing fur coat mm-hmm. that Telly's Falls is wearing. But what I love about this coat is that it matches his horse. Now, yes, it does. And that horse is the most magnificent animal now, in the movie. Yeah, yeah. And we're talking about like who is the hero of this movie? Well, you know what? Corbucci gave him the hero horse. Yeah, you're right. That's a good point. And that's like my signifier of who the hero is, is who has the yeah. amazing hero horse. That's a mic drop right there because that's yeah, true. That's on. absolutely true. He has the hero horse. Yeah. And I wonder yeah. what came first, the coat or the horse? Because they mm-hmm. match. Like, he is, it's an ensemble together. It's his entire character. Well, we that, have, is, that is right on the money. That would have been up to Piero Filippone, who uh, mm-hmm. was the art director on this film. Yeah. Now, Susan George's Sunny is, like, such an unexpected, wonderful discovery for me. Because, okay, I have this problem, personally, as a strong woman. I have this problem with people when they throw on this term strong woman strong female character mm-hmm. because i yeah, like gala's been in plenty of like development meetings where the development executives mm-hmm. are telling her well what we need here is strong female characters yeah okay mm-hmm. i don't care about strong female characters i care about interesting female characters well said i couldn't and agree with you more sunny is interesting because you know what women 
out there, we're not all strong. Okay, we're weak. Mm-hmm. We cry. We fall in love with people that we shouldn't fall in love as with. As well as being strong. Yeah, you're we're, all, you're we're, the full we're all spectrum. These things. Like we're flawed, we're weak, yeah. we're happy, we're sad, we're strong. We go through changes. You're narcissistic. You're, I'm amazing. I'm yeah, yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah, exactly, I'm yeah. fantastic, et cetera. But you know what? Susan George is sunny. She's so unique in this because, and I love what you said earlier before you got into reading the back of the box about how Corbucci and his female characters, how he marries two archetypes together. And like, they're kind of on these fringes because yeah, she is victim and she is hero. She's not like one or the other. And she goes through this amazing character arc and transformation through this movie, which is actually such a joy to watch. Roger mentioned earlier, her name's Sunny and like the- Sunny! 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 We're in stereo, <laughs> but mentioned like her name's Sunny, and why is it spelled with an O instead of a U? Because like Sunny Boy, yeah, like Sunny Boy, like yeah, she yeah. is pretending to be, be a boy, a boy. And I love how she goes through this transformation. Where at the start, when she meets him, she's yelling, "I'm not a woman, I'm yeah, not yeah. a woman." To at the very end, when she yells at him, "I'm a female." Yeah, yeah. I don't want any of this anymore. This is Corbucci's feminist statement, and it's mm-hmm. a feminist statement where she's mm-hmm. gone on this journey and she's discovered her womanhood now. There are some like such beautiful shots in this, like when Sunny sees the lovers in the window in the cactus. Oh, oh God! Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, and fantastic. You, the, the two, um, the the um, two villagers in the cactus the, the villagers, town. Yeah, and you just see them. They've just gotten married. These two townsfolk, and she goes to the window and she looks in, and it's just like in silhouette, like backlit, and the candles all burning, and they're just kissing. And like this romantic gesture, it's not sex, it's love. Well, and it's funny because they've been told by Jed, like, you know, what's wrong with you two? You know, uh, go have sex. Yeah, (laughs) you're married and you're not having, go have sex. Yeah, yeah. Go do it. Like what, you're wasting your time. Yeah, but what she sees. And so they go off and what she sees is something that's not, like, tenderness it's and love. Vulgar. Yeah. It's, tenderness, yeah. it's not what he's suggesting. She's seeing love. Yeah. yeah. And it and her eyes and they fill with tears. And it's something that she wants so badly that she can't have. And like, yeah, we can argue about like, is Sunny Stockholm Syndrome? Like, does she have Stockholm Syndrome with a man that has tried to rape her and like her situation? At the end of the day, that doesn't really matter because the relationship that the two form with each other ends up feeling really genuine to at the mm-hmm. end. You are rooting for them to be together. When he is chasing her at the end and just like saying, Sunny, I need you. I want to be with you. And she says, stay six paces back. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what he told her. That's yeah. the full and reversal. And they've got a full reversal yeah. where now it's like he's the puppy following her. It's a great performance. It's a great character. It's a great performance. And to think she literally did straw dogs and yeah. might have just gotten on an airplane and yeah. went straight to America. Yeah, literally, straw dogs. Dustin yeah. Hoffman is literally like, oh, so what are you going to do next? And she's like, oh, I'm going to go to yeah. Italy or yeah. wherever, Spain. So she, and <laughs> I'm going to so, Malfa. So she literally finishes one of Peckinpah's greatest, strongest movies, yeah. most, mm-hmm. you know, most challenging movies, you know, and does one of the most challenging rape scenes in the history of yeah. cinema in uh-huh. Straw Dogs. And then doubles down for more. And then doubles down with fucking Sergio Kabuchi. My God, what a career. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I love that. And this is before Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry. Yeah. This is before Small Town in Texas. This is before all that other cool shit she's going to do. Yeah. And I love that scene when they're on the raft and he's like, you are the dog and I am the master. And she goes, no, no. No, and it's like it's like her being a little kid. But you know what? I feel like I've had those moments before where I just want to like yell no at someone like yeah. that. And and well, what's funny about that moment so is relatable. when she's yelling no, it's like no, no, and it's sounding like a dog barking. Yeah, the way she's saying no. Yeah, yeah. it's the way yeah. she's doing it. The peaceful cactus village. I love that there's like cutting up 
cactus fruit, and they're just like all peaceful there. Yeah, and then he's left them Django's gun. Basically. Yeah, yeah. The Gatlin <laughs> he's gun. Jack, he's like, gun. hey, I found you a gun to defend yourselves. Which plays in great later yeah, in the movie. For I sure. mean, yeah, it's, it's it magnificent. Really it's so exciting when it plays into the third act of the yeah. film, the God, machine I'm gun. I'm getting so excited. I want to go home and watch this movie again like after as we're talking about it. Because also, like, the corn silo scene, I've never seen anything like that Yeah, I've never before. seen anything like it's, that I, It's... It's just such a stupendous action sequence. And you're right. I've never seen anything like it. It it, it exists in its own fucking realm. Yeah. And also, I love that it's like so multi-layered because you have the moments where they're just like sleeping in there and like they're covering themselves with the corn. Yeah. Oh, that and scene like, where he's like going to bed and climbing into the corn oh, yeah. and like as if it's a big blanket. This movie has so many special moments in it that you would not expect to just like if you just said, hey, like watch this. I wouldn't expect like to have this corn sequence and to have these amazing lens flares and to have as this a film- character arc. I as a filmmaker, as a filmmaker, if you captured that corn sequence, that alone in a movie would be enough to be proud of for the rest of your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To have made this entire movie mm-hmm. and to have orchestrated all of the scenes and managed all of those arcs, those difficult arcs, so elegantly and well. I mean, it's it, it, this is a masterwork. Okay, this is becoming one of my a favorite episodes, work. if not my favorite episode that we've ever done, because I just love Sergio Kabuchi so much. And to find that you guys feel that he's the master that I feel he is, all right, just, it's just, it's just. It's, I prefer it, it's him to Leone. Yeah. I do. I mean, I know that, that that may be a statement not everybody would agree no, with, it, but I personally. It's legit. And you know what? You guys are in luck because it's on YouTube. So. Anyone can go watch it. You guys can pause the episode and go watch it right now. Even oh, so, can I, can I ask? Was it widescreen on YouTube? I don't think so. Unfortunately, if it's you not, know what, I actually because then you might miss some of the lens flare effect mm-hmm. that they were doing. You know, I'm actually going to go home and I'll double check and I will see we'll if it's widescreen yeah. or not. Um, I ended up picking up a VHS tape of this from Trans World Entertainment, the big box for two dollars. Oh wow, cool! <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that will be like this. I'm sure it will be a panda scan. Yeah. You know what's but, weird? But, 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 but I'm kind of I can't wait to see the Trans World big plastic box. Yeah, you know, you know what's yeah, actually yeah. weird about it though is that this the Trans World has it under a different title, which is the Bandera Bandit. Well, that is one of its titles. Okay, the yeah. the, the, the the three titles that it's known under. I I don't have it, but I've seen the big uh, Italian poster that has mm-hmm. Bandera Bandits. But the two titles that it's normally under is either. Sonny and Jet or the J and S gang. I like Sonny oh, and Jet. And third, third being Bandera Bandits. The Bandera Bandits. Yeah. Well, everyone go watch it on YouTube. It's up for you to watch. Mr. Scarface with co-hit American Nitro will be playing on magnificent 35mm film for one night at the new Beverly Cinema on January 26th. 7165 Beverly Boulevard, Los Angeles, California, 90036. For more information, visit thenewbev.com. The new Beverly Cinema, always on film. And we're back. And as if this uh, Sergio Corbucci love fest that we've just pontificated about wasn't enough, we are now on to one of my other favorite Italian genre filmmakers, Fernando De Leo. Of the lion. Yes, the lion of the lion. The lion roars. <laughs> Absolutely. De Leo, De Leo, like my son, yeah. De Leo. Yeah. All right. Um, and this, in this instance, while you you had heard the name Corbucci and you had seen Django, you had seen the two of his most famous ones, Django and El Grande Silencio. Um, in this instance, you weren't familiar with Fernando De Leo at all. And no, not at all. And so I uh, explained to you who he was, and we watched his film, uh, Mr. Scarface. 
It's actually, it's known under a lot of titles. The title that is There's most- like 20 titles, this yeah, movie. The title that is most known as, for the most part, at least in America, is Mr. Scarface. It was, uh, uh, it's kind of a original title is Rulers of the City. And there's even some videos out there and DVDs out there that, that have it under that title. It's also known as The Big Boss, not to be confused mm-hmm. with the Bruce Lee film. And under and under just like basically whatever title they wanted to put on it, all right, that you know had some mafia cheapden idea, and it stars uh, uh, Jack Palance, and we're in a big Jack Palance mood watching as many of those as we can. But the thing about Mister Scarface is it falls under a window of movies that uh, DeLeo did in the seventies, and he he did a lot of crime films, but it's considered that he had a, a quartet of mafia movies. Uh, his film uh, The Boss also known in America as Wipeout, which stars Henry Silva. Then there's his other most, along with Mr. Scarface, his other most like played out movie uh, was originally released in America as The Italian Connection. It's also been known on video as Hitman, Hired to Kill. I mean, it's, it's under, it has a z- zillion different titles. And that's with Henry Silva and Woody Strode mm-hmm. and Mario Dorf. Then there's his film uh, uh, Calibrary 9, basically Caliber nine millimeter. Yeah, nine millimeter. Uh, which stars Barbara Boucher and Gaston Moshin and Mario Adolf. And then there's Mr. Scarface or Rulers of the City. Mr. Scarface is decidedly my least favorite of the quartet, even though I like it. So that's not one that I would go back to watch as often as I would like The Italian Connection mm-hmm. or The Boss, or that wouldn't even be the one that I would choose to watch with you to introduce you to it. But because of the Jack Palance thing, I did. And because I hadn't seen it in a long time, I'd actually had forgotten how the whole second half of the movie plays out. And I loved it. <laughs> I had a great time. I still think the opening 20 minutes is kind of dodgy a little bit with those young guys driving around in, the, in, the, in their dune buggy, even though I kind of <laughs> like the dune buggy. All right? uh, but it's not the mafia thing that I want, but it gets there. That last 20 minutes is kind of, is, is, I couldn't believe how much fun we were having in the last 20 minutes of that movie. <laughs> So this movie starts off and I'm, you know, you're trying to understand the world you're in. Like, I know that this is Italy and I yeah. know that this is a crime film and I know this guy's a collector and everything, but there was a kind of almost goofy quality to Harry Bear's performance. Yeah, no, no. There's a goofy quality to it that is in line it's, with the stupid action comedies that Terrence Hill and Bud Spencer exactly. do. Where they just get into one crazy, ridiculous you know, some weird version of Italian martial arts kind of fighting. All right. Uh, 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 and then, he was and, like doing parkour or yeah, something and all like the, before there was such a thing. Yeah. And all that, you know, uh, 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 all the fight scenes are like elaborate and strange and like and ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, not to just jump right in, but there's a moment in the movie where mm-hmm. um, uh, I'm trying to remember his name. Um, Alco- it's a Vittorio Caprioli. Oh, yeah, 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 Caprioli, that guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy from uh, Cafe Express. Yeah. There's a, t- there's a moment where he's got a little handgun and they're in this kind of very brutalist, old, condemned slaughterhouse. Mm-hmm. And he's in this big room that has these three big doors, one on each wall. And he's trying to shoot this guy as the guy's running around the building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he never, he doesn't hit him at all, like at yeah, each yeah. time. But it is so funny to, uh, to me, that shot, it's mm-hmm. one shot just... He shoots at this door. He turns and he aims. He waits till the guy runs by. He shoots at that guy. The uh-huh. guy didn't get him. He turns to this door. He waits and the guy runs by and he shoots and he misses uh-huh. him again. It's just like. But that was actually funny. The, yeah, the, the, the opening 20 minutes isn't that funny. That's well, actually, no, that was actually funny. You laughed your ass off at that I part. was laughing my ass off at a lot of those kind of situations. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wasn't laughing my ass off so much at the kind of 
Harry Bear's sort of circus clown yeah. dancing around yeah. da- dancing around fighting style. And so I was like trying to like at first find myself into the movie because mm-hmm. at first you know the mo- you start going into the movie and it's um it's hard. It's a hard it's a real you're, you're set in a kind of real world. Mm-hmm. And then like Corbucci, there's this kind of weird inversion to the movie where mm-hmm. I started feeling for Jack Palance's character in yeah, a weird too. way. Yeah, me too. Let me read the back of the box. I'm, I'm just going to cut out the first line. Tony, a former boxer, now cinema collector, that'd be Harry Bear, uh, they set out to con the mob after they are cheated of large sums of money and commissions. Using themselves as bait and hitting at a big drug deal, they lure Scarface, Jack Palance, and his henchmen to a slaughterhouse. <laughs> they just go right to the end. <laughs> Here, the gears of justice and revenge are set in motion when a blazing gun battle erupts in a, an all-caps violent climax. Okay, and that's true about that last part. <laughs> I mean, that violent climax, to me, was like... Um, all the shots from all the William Friedkin films put together yeah. in one sequence. You know, the running shots, the, mm. the close-ups of guys running, the, uh, the the way the cars are driving. It, it was feeling like a Friedkin film. Oh, well, 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 there's that one chase through the streets of Rome. Yeah. All yeah. right. That looks exactly like a William Friedkin foot chase, except not done in long lens, done actually like a guy either on a dolly or running, running or with a camera on, on, on his shoulder. on the back of a motorcycle or on something. On the back of a motorcycle is just following them in a head and shoulders close-up as they book. Yeah, you know, as they run as fast as they freaking Through the streets can. of Rome, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's great. So Franklin Browner has to say, Spaghetti Crime is looking a lot like William Friedkin in 1976's Mr. Scarface, a slightly goofy, hard-boiled revengissimo with minimally scarred Jack Palance smoking his way through blocks of dialogue as brutalist as the slaughterhouse location that makes up the action spectacular finale. Fassbinder regular German actor Harry Bear pops around fistfights like a circus performer collecting for the mob, while Al Cliver resembles a surfer from Endless Summer. At first, one thinks it might be bad act- a bad acting choice, that he might really be a surfer that's, that they've hired to act. But the reveal to his emotionalist delivery and methodical movements are enough to make one regret stereotyping him. He's excellent and cold and fully believable. Is the film itself believable? Not really, but it's playful enough to wish for a sequel set in Rio de Janeiro. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of how I felt. I mean, as you uh, one of the dreams of, of, of Harry Bear's character in this movie is that he dreams of going to Rio de Janeiro yes. and living where his supposedly rich brother has a, yeah. has a great place. And, uh-huh. Now, also, it must be noted, as Rogers mentioned on this show before, you know, uh, for a period of his childhood, he grew up in Brazil. Yeah. And in so, Aracaju, Brazil, which is <laughs> north of Recife. So we're watching the movie and Harry Bear... <laughs> For the whole first 40 minutes of the movie, he wears a t-shirt that says Brazil on it. And spelled correctly, Brazil, with an S, not a Z. But it just so happens that Roger was wearing a Brazil shirt that day he came over to watch the movie. Yeah, and I've decided to wear it today as well because... He's wearing the shirt today. And so we're watching the movie in the first 20 minutes. I go... Is he wearing a Brazil shirt like you? And he goes, yes, yes, he is. Yes, yes, he is. And it's spelled the right way, too. There's no fucking Z in that yeah, shit. None of this co- colonial Z. None of that shit. 
so yeah, I mean, I went to school in Brazil, and uh, uh, my my father still lives there, and uh, my my grandparents lived there. My grandfather was a Pan Am pilot, so my family has like a a big history with Brazil. Mm-hmm. The whole thing is his dream is to go to Rio. Yeah. And it's not a bad dream to have if you're in Italy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, right on. <laughs> like Brazil at one, it's the place that you can go to mm-hmm. cheaply with a visa mm-hmm. from from there at that time. Mm-hmm. That is the magical place to go to mm-hmm. if you're running away from, mm-hmm. you know, reconstructed Europe. I'm going to describe the plot as quickly as I can, but it's a pretty simple plot. Well, um, well actually, who published this this box? Okay, this is a- Because this is like one of the weirdest looking, most garish uh Boxes. I like this box. Oh, I'm not saying I don't like it. Okay, you uh, know I like Garish, yeah, but yeah. Uh, but it is definitely um, somebody's art project because <laughs> they went for it. Well, it was released on video in 1987, and it's from uh, Mark Five. Mark Five. Mark Five. And they also have uh, uh, they also released the Italian Connection under the oh. title uh, uh, Hired to Kill, and they actually have the original artwork on that. And just just on account of because. I had the painting that the poster. The actual painted. The, the, yeah, painted. actually, the actual painting that the they art for the art. the art for the poster. The, the paint. The, the painting that they use for the poster. Yeah. Wow. I had that on three films. I have uh, the original painting of Coffee. I have the original painting of Bucktown, and I have the original painting of Italian Connection. Do, do things like that come up often? Like, and and where does one find? Uh, I don't even original know. art like I, that. Yeah, it, it just pops up. Yeah, it just pops up from time to time. So, uh, uh, so Mr. Scarface in it, um, Harry Bear plays uh, an ex-boxer who is a, a collector uh, for the mob. He's a young kid, drives around Rome in a red dune buggy. Looks like the Wonder Bug from the 70s cartoon With like show. a big STP number one. Yeah. It, it, like it, on it. It's totally an STP number one. Like that's a choice. The fact that the le- the heroes of the film were driving around in a doom buggy is actually kind of funny. All right. Yeah. It's, it's kind of good. Cool. That is one of the weird things where the comedy actually works. There's a couple of different gangs in, in Rome, and one of the gangs, the, the main gang, is run by Scarface, played by Jack Palance. But the rival gang is a guy named Luigi, who's played by the uh, the star of the movie The Egyptian, Edmund Perdue. Yeah. And he's more of a low-level uh, he, uh, he, uh, loan shark. Yeah, he's not really a vicious guy. No, he's actually kind of a cool guy, actually. Yeah. Uh, he's running a semi legit. He, he doesn't murder people necessarily. He might muscle people. No, yeah, he's a loan shark and everything. But, like, yeah, you don't like the other people around him, but you actually uh, it, it, you expect Luigi to be this hard ass crime boss, and you actually start liking him as his time goes on. And then when his, he finally has his final comeuppance, you kind of feel sorry for him. All right. I found that to be true among all of the, vi- yeah. the villains, quote unquote, in the movie. And so what ends up happening, uh, not only does Luigi Evan Perdome have a loan shark operation going on, he also has a casino. And then at some point, because one of his gang members got fleeced at Like the an casino, underground casino. Like a, yeah, yeah, yeah. An yeah. underground casino. Yeah, like in the sting. Mm-hmm. Jack Palanza Scarface shows up to play some roulette. And while he's playing the roulette so he loses and whatever okay that's fine hey uh would it be okay if i uh, uh cash a three thousand dollar check what the fuck are they gonna tell scarface no yeah so it was like a th- i think a three million lira a three, three million lira check yeah. okay <laughs> so he cashes the check knowing that nobody's ever gonna th- that this check is gonna bounce and who the fuck is going to uh say anything to scarface about it so Luigi's freaking out about, oh, I've just lost 3 million lira. And then Harry Bear, who's the collector, goes, I'll collect on the check. I, I get 10%, right? I'll, I'll collect on the check. 
So the way he collects on the check is he comes up with a con game that fools uh, Jack Palance's character into paying the three million lira. So he delivers the check, but Luigi's like, what the fuck have you done? <laughs> I'm going to have Scarface is going to demand this money back or he's going to kill us all. Which is exactly what ends up happening. Yeah, and they kind of sent him off to collect the money. Like they don't think they're going to be able to. And yeah, yeah, like there's no way he's going to kill whoever comes. So literally, How and that Enzo guy, his yeah. the other collections guy, uh, he, like he wants him to go do it. Like go ahead, let him do it. Let yeah. him hang himself with his own rope. Yeah, and so he goes off, and then he does this big scam on Jack Palance. It's like, holy fuck, you got the money? Oh no, that's a bigger problem. It's for a bigger them. problem now. <laughs> and so he's joined by his partner, uh, Harry Bear is joined by his partner Al Cliver. And they who's like who's like kind of a blonde yeah. like yeah, he he's looks not like, American is he yeah no, uh, I don't I'm not sure what nationality Al Cliver is he looks like he's like a surfer yeah, yeah. and he's wearing he also looks like a, a funny young, shirt yeah he like looks a like a young uh, 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 Nick Nolte he looks like a totally yeah he looks like like he should be playing Nick Nolte's son in Rich Man Poor Man yeah totally uh, um so by Harry Bear doing this like this con on Scarface. He starts a bloody gang war that ends up wiping out all of Luigi's entire family. Yeah. And then Al Cliver and Harry Bear kind of do what uh, 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 Parker does in the outfit with Joe yeah. Don Baker's Cody. That's exactly and, what he does. And Robert Duvall's Parker do. They, okay, well, we can wait for these guys to kill us or we could just like attack them, all right, and just rob them again and again and again and again and again. And again, the mob who's not used to being treated this way is, yeah. being, is being driven through frustration. And that's and that's the story. Yeah, and, all they, right? and they lure them into this giant uh, slaughterhouse, yeah. which is apparently kind of a walled, closed area, so they can kind yeah, of... It looks, like a, it looks like a housing project. Yeah, and uh, because yeah, they yeah. know it so well, yeah, yeah. they're able to kind of run around it and make mincemeat out of the mob. The I, Okay, now... One of the things I don't like is Harry Bear has these like stupid uh, Terrence Hill, Bud Spencer kind of fights that he does throughout the whole film that he wins always. And it's always inexplicable that he wins. Well, he's supposed to be like, I think, a light foot boxer, you know, good at yeah. dancing, good at dancing around. But the way he does it is more like a gymnast. Yeah. Like he does like seem. Jim Cotta. Well, look, it does seem like Jim <laughs> Cotta, yeah. But it does seem. Like, uh, uh, yeah, you have to get that reference. <laughs> We're not going to even explain it. You, you either get it or you don't. Yeah, you either get it or. Whew. All right. Uh, uh, uh. The blue angels are flying over your head. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's interesting about it is, like a lot of actors who star in Italian films, he actually is pretty physically adept, like as if he had some training of some sort of gymnast or some training of some sort of acrobat aspect because I don't buy his fighting, but the way he climbs up fucking uh, uh, poles and is on top of roofs and then slides down a pole to do something and you see it all in one shot. I mean, some of the physical stuff he yep. does in the movie is very, very impressive. Oh, you see our lead actor like at that slaughterhouse in the end, he's on top of a building and he's kind of jumping down the building yeah. mm -hmm. and then sliding down a, a pole and then going down to some bars. No, and like, um, what's his name? Uh, Vittorio Caprioli. Yeah. At one point they have him hiding in some kind of ledge that's really high uh -huh. and then he's got to get down and run. So he jumps yeah, down yeah. Uh -huh. okay so the actor jumps down and he clearly falls and like twists an ankle or he lands on his ass yeah yeah uh -huh. and he gets up and he's walking away and you can see him limping and he's grabbing his butt and yeah, yeah. you realize no he busted he busted his tailbone yeah, yeah. vittorio yeah. vittorio just fell on his ass yeah after yeah that thing yeah he didn't break it but he, there's he no stuntmen in this movie yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> you're doing your own stuff well there's a lot of stuntmen in the movie they're just the guys that are getting beat up <laughs> yeah, they're also right. the actors yeah <laughs> <laughs>
But the thing that's like a, a, annoying about Harry Bear and the, I actually kind of like him in the movie, except for the fight scenes, is they do this thing that I don't like, where it's just like he wins every fight easily, or where it's like I mean, he's obviously fighting guys who would beat the fuck out of him yeah. in real life, and he's mocking them like Robin Hood or something. Yeah, you know, like <laughs> yeah, no, no, he talks shit like he's Spider Man in the yeah. comic books. Yeah, the exactly. Spider Man. Spider-Man, it's a much Spider-Man, better. Yeah, the way Spider Man talks shit in the comic books uh, during his entire ass kicking. Okay, yeah, that's like, what Howard. Like, Whoa, did. buddy, that was a little close for me. But yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, as the guy's trying to stab. Yeah, him you're or trying something. to kill me, and I'm just your friendly neighborhood Spider Man. Let me show you this. <laughs> <laughs> But the, the worst part is he's supposed to be a, a boxer. And when he actually has like the fighting boxing match sort of with uh, 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 the other collector. Enzo Polcrano. Yeah. When he has that fight, his defense stance is so ridiculously weak. And it's like fisticuffs in, in like the 1800s. It's less than that. <laughs> all right. It's like the wimpiest Poindexter is forced to be in a fight in school. And that's how he holds up his his fist. I mean, you can't even believe it's not meant as a joke. Yeah. Because it's just so, and especially, so unimpressive. And especially that Enzo guy, the other collector. Yeah. He's like a tough guy. He's like, he a, looks, he's like no, a he beefcake. He's like he, a beefcake. He looks like he actually was a boxer who went into acting. Yeah. So I was actually embarrassed for him. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, I will say this. There's an interesting twist of story in the movie that it's almost remarkable that it's, the reveal is revealed as late in the movie as it is, but it actually is effective and it works really. And I can't say anything more without giving it away, you know, but, 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 what, the, but there's a turn, there's a turn in the story that makes the entire movie snap into focus and it snaps in, and it violently snaps into focus. You really understand the movie in a special way. Like I literally, you had seen this movie before, mm-hmm. but I hadn't seen it. And so even after it was kind of, revealed Mm -hmm. it completely took me and i had no you actually said it out loud oh my god (laughs) yeah i had an oh my god moment in 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 this like uh there's a kind of um sleight of hand that's going on with fernando de leo who Mm -hmm. uh with how he's guiding how you view this world and how you how how seriously you take the world and there's a kind of contrast between the events that happen, which are hard-boiled events. Yeah, very much so. I mean, these are like Italian mafia situations. Yeah, oddly enough, it's funny. As goofy as the heroes can be, the bad guys, Jack Palance and his and his team, are never played goofy. Oh. They're, you know. Yeah, Carmelo Real, mm-hmm. or he's credited as Roberto Real, the Luca guy, who yeah. is Jack Palance's um, second. Like, yeah, second. Who I love. That guy was great. Yeah. And he's he's a delay regular. Yeah, that guy. Like most of the people are delay. That regular. guy, like you feel, there's a lot more going on, with, because he has this mm-hmm. kind of concerned quality. Like he's the guy who's actually dealing with all the shit that's going down on be- yeah. on behalf of Jack Palance. He's the facilitator. And he also he looks like a mafia guy. That's, what, that's just he it. looks, he looks like, like a, ma- a mafia. And I mean, guy. an Italian mafia guy, yeah. not just some Italian American shit. I mean, he looks like an he looks like an Italian. Rome fucking mafia dude. He really does with that mm. pencil mustache that yeah. he's got, that uh-huh. pencil thin mustache. And it was insulting when Harry Bear beat him up. It was insulting. He would have fucked that guy up. You know, and the reality of this world is uh it's a little it's a little wonky. It's a little goofy. It's a yeah. little hey, Paisano. It's yeah, a, yeah, yeah. there's a lot of yeah, yeah. uh um especially out of the Vittorio Caprioli well, that, yeah. character. And, <laughs> like I'm hot and cold on him, and he's in every fucking delay. No, I know. Yeah, yeah he, it's he's in every single one of them. And every and he plays the same guy pretty much in every single one of them. Yeah. And he has his own. Yeah. 
As goofy as that is, yeah. he makes it pleasurable to no, watch. He, I, I, when he goes there and he makes that telephone call yeah. to Jack Palance, and I started feeling bad for Jack Palance because they're fucking with him. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. And his, and and Luca, his guy, uh, comes, uh-huh. you know, comes down. And Vittorio's on the phone and he's talking to Jack Palance. He's like, ah, oh, here's your guy now. And he's watching him go to his car. Yeah. Hey, he's looking at, hey, th- hey tell him he's like, oh, is he there? And you're like, <laughs> the way he's fucking with them. I mean, it is comedy, but it also feels Italian. Yeah, no. It, it feels like the kind of the mania of Italy, the, which we saw, you know, in Cafe Express, the goofy way reality actually functions. Mm-hmm. And so the whole last 20 minutes, almost bordering on a half hour. Yeah, easily. Is this gigantic action sequence where all of Jack Palance's men show up at the slaughterhouse and are... Our three heroes, Harry Bear, Al Cliver, and then uh, Vittorio Caprioli. Yeah. You know, are are waiting for them. And it's just one goddamn thing after another, after another for the next half hour. Now, the sequence isn't perfect because you don't really know what's going on. If if, if you had a little bit more of, a, of an idea of what their plan was, you'd be able to follow it more. If you had a little bit more of an idea where the bad guys are doing as opposed to just running around like chickens yeah. with their head cut off. There's a little bit of geographical yeah. uh, chaos. <laughs> nevertheless, that, that would make it stronger. But nevertheless, the action is fantastic. Yeah, it's Friedkin. It never stops. This slaughterhouse location is a magnificent location. I mean, like, you can't point the camera without getting a groovy shot because everything about it, but when the bricks and the metal and the metal girders, I mean, everything yeah. about it is fantastic. And how, because it's a slaughterhouse, how there's kind of cage bars everywhere, so it calls yeah. to mind a prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And these are all criminals, and so there's all of that going on thematically. And finally, there's this, like, fantastic little, cool little car out clivers on a motorcycle and he's being chased around this it's just it's just so exciting it's yeah. just so much fun i'd forgot how good that sequence was and it is really terrific it that is a really really cool sequence now you brought up uh something about jack palance that i thought was really 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 <laughs> funny in this movie because we've been really enjoying jack palance's performances now he's very good in this movie but as you pointed out it looks like he was probably a pain in the ass on this film. I, I don't think I, I, I don't I, think he was. I don't think he was swimming with the school. I, I think he was being problematic, and they had to deal with it. I've done programmers in other countries uh-huh. with uh, actors who probably don't want to be doing the movie, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they show up. Uh, you know, they're like, hey, you have to have a scar on your face. And he's like, oh, I don't want a scar on my face, but it's called Mr. Scarface. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's to, obvious. Well, Jack, a little one. It's obvious Jack Palance was being contrarian to almost yeah. all the ideas that were probably written in the script. All right. So it's like. I'm going to smoke a smoke my thing through every scene. Yeah, no, okay. <laughs> what he means is the whole point about the idea is Palance spends the entire movie sucking on a, a cigarette holder. Whether it has a cigarette in it or not. Oh, yeah. All it, right. it doesn't matter. No, it's, it's always, his actor's tool. This, don't take away my actor's tool. It's always in his mouth. <laughs> it's, it's, he's decided that that is the thing for the character. Yeah. And that's that's the level of his investment. Is the cigarette holder in his mouth constantly. His name is Scarface. He has the smallest scar <laughs> on the 
just on, on the little tiny part of his upper cheek to be called Scarface. It's obvious it was meant to be this giant scar. Yeah. Stitches. And he doesn't want to sit in makeup all day. Like, he doesn't want that shit. I'm not going to let the fucking scar makeup <laughs> thing do my performance for me. Yeah. So he, he breaks it down to be as little as it possibly can and still be called Scarface. And I'm sure that was a negotiation and that it finally ended with one inch, no more than an inch. <laughs> <That's>, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that that was the negotiation. Nevertheless, you can't imagine the movie without Palance. Well, p- Palance on an off, not even an off day, just on a- I wouldn't call it off. Palance just showing up is Palance well, he's still a, showing up. He's still a professional. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm going to say. He's still Jack Palance. He, he still fills the frame. And I, I yeah, believe me, Fernando DeLeo would not be afraid to bite his tongue about if he had a problem with an actor. And I don't think he had, a, these were issues I think that came up, but I think he ultimately loved what Jack Palance did in the film. But then also there is just this aspect of like, he looks like the fittest old man I've ever seen in my life. He looks so good in his, in his suit, tailored yeah. suits. I mean, he look he looks like a million motherfucking dollars in these suits. You know, and, and, and this is one of those movies where, you know, he's trying to have the, the more grotesque face. Yeah. As opposed to say cocaine cowboys. Especially where, in the beginning. Yeah. Especially uh, that opening scene. Yeah, especially the opening scene. But uh where as opposed to cocaine cowboys, where he's trying to look handsome. But nevertheless, he looks so good in that suit that even with him doing the grotesque face, he still fucking looks handsome. Yeah. Because he just looks like he fucking has it all, man. He did a kind of miraculous thing in this movie, which is he's the bad guy, he's the mob boss, he's Mr. Scarface. Yeah, yeah. And by the end. In in his final, we can call him in his final moments, mm-hmm. I was on his side completely. I kind of was too. I, I know that I'm supposed to be on the side of- uh, Don't say of, who. Uh, Don't say who. Don't say of who. Of our heroes. Yes, okay. <laughs> of our two heroes. I know that I'm supposed to be on the side of our two heroes, but- I was, but no, I, I, I felt sympathy I'm for not, Jack Palance's situation. I'm not applauding when Jack goes down in a hill of bullets. I'm okay. not happy. I'm not applauding. I understand it has to happen. Yeah. And it makes sense. And it, and it it needed to happen, he, but he, I'm not. But I'm not. Yeah. And he brings <laughs> he brings a kind of broken sympathy to the moment, mm-hmm. like a kind of realization well, it, of the end, a kind also, of sadness. It, it's like a well, you 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 made you made a point earlier on when the, when the older guy Victorio is fucking with him on the phone. Yeah. It's interesting how Palance never loses it in the movie. Yeah. He always keeps it under control. And which is not what you would expect from Palance. It's not what you expect from a mob boss in a movie, in an Italian movie. It's not what you would expect from Jack Palance playing a mob boss, especially something called Mr. Scarface. Yeah. You wouldn't expect him to be keeping his cool. But he manages to keep his cool enough. Your sympathy starts drifting towards him. Now he's being fucked with. Yeah. And they're fucking with him pretty hard. And yeah. he actually, I think he goes to that that exchange in good faith. He completely goes no weaponless. It, it's one of the things that actually is. is it it is, makes it a little gray. It's one of the things that makes the ending gray. Is uh, he actually thinks it's a business deal, and he's going down completely trusting the business it, deal. And it almost feels like they cheated him yeah. in the end. <laughs> they did. <laughs> And we're back and joined by Gala. Hey, Quentin. Hey, Roger. Welcome back. Okay, can we talk about this box for a second that you have? Yes. Because, okay. With the giant, so, like, image of a bullet hole, like, going through So I want everyone that's- Cannonball hole. I want everyone that's watching right now to go to where we have our photos and to look at the picture of this VHS box. Because, okay, 
Jack Palance is on this one, two, three, four. There's like five of him. There's one on the <laughs> yeah. bottom. Oh, one yeah, the yeah, right. <laughs> but like in all of these photos, notice how he doesn't have a scar on his face. Oh, well, it <laughs> like, might be there. It's in even the black. It's like in yeah. the black. Like they've conveniently like smoothed yeah, it yeah. over. Well, the okay, box. It's probably not a shot from this movie. <laughs> and also, also the, the title of this boss, box is The Big Boss, the not big boss. Mr. Scarface. So yeah. nobody felt compelled to sell that uh, concept. Yeah. And Quentin, will you read the, the tagline on the box? Yeah, it's pretty good. I forgot to read that before. Okay. The tagline, uh, well, well, while we did not like the, the plot description on the back, the tagline is terrific. He's the godfather of death, and he's given out free samples. Wow. I love that tagline. That tagline's awesome. Yeah, that is a good tagline. And I also, I just have to say, I really like the back of this box. Like, not the not the description, but I love the images. Like, no, I like the images. Pictures, yeah. like this like panel of images, because the one on the, the bottom left is actually my one of my favorite moments in the movie. This, mm. this oh, one yeah, yeah, the yeah. bullet hole. Yeah. But I really, I really like that part of the movie. No, Quentin, what does the inside of this box look like? Is there just a tape inside? No, well, that's a, it's in a uh, um, like one of those plastic. Yeah, it's in a, but it's in a, like a big deal like a tray, a big deal plastic tray, actually. Okay, wow, yeah, this is like a big deal plastic. Okay. Obviously, in the two-hour like, mode. I also like this how they did this design on the sticker on the VHS tape. How it's like they yeah. have the Mark V, but then the the logo of the big boss is like blowing through their actual logo. Oh yeah, no, I love that. And I like the idea that the the hole in the O is a bullet hole. The the holes in the B are bullet holes. <laughs> yeah, so for me, this is like a plus on box design because when yeah. you go online to buy a VHS tape of this on eBay, mm -hmm. there are like a hundred billion different versions. Tapes. Yeah, mm -hmm. There are so many different versions. Mine is a good times. Oh my God. Uh-oh. You would have been better just watching it for free on YouTube. Well, right. you guys, are, I did actually watch it for free on YouTube. <laughs> but I've had a good times one, specifically because the box art, they have this really cool illustration of Jack Palance, like holding the gun. And stuff. Oh, okay, well, okay, that's from the original, that's from the original Italian poster yes. of Rulers of the City. Yeah. Yes, because I noticed that like every single, there's like five different companies that use that exact like art. But they like some of it's more blurry than others. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like the wrong yeah. It's like a Xerox of a Xerox of a <laughs> yeah, Xerox of like a, a Xerox. photo of a Xerox. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But for those of you out there who are looking for the movie, if you look online, you're gonna find it under Rulers of the City. But if you want to find it on YouTube, you have to look at Mr. Scarface because mm -hmm. that kind of stumps. I found me at first. two. I found two yeah. complete. Yeah. Yeah, and I found one complete and pretty good quality for Mr. Scarface. So out of the three movies today, I was like really excited to watch this one just because the premise sounded so cool mm -hmm. and like Jack Palance as Mr. Scarface. It just sounded awesome. But to be honest, this movie kind of fell a little flat for me. I really liked the opening. Like I liked the kind of dreamlike sequence where you're not sure if someone's having a dream or if it's like a memory or if it's happening at the same time or like a what's nightmare, a yeah. nightmare, like what is really going on. Mm -hmm. And I really liked that dune buggy, actually. I thought it was like a cool character piece. That, yeah, like, it was, it right was probably a character in the movie. Yeah, well, exactly. It's the fourth character yeah, amongst exactly. the group. It, yeah. it was probably a very cool car to have in Italy at that time. It yeah. was a Puma, yeah, yeah. which was a, a kind of aftermarket kit car. But it's like, it, if you're a millennial and you grew up watching the Croft Super Show, it feels <laughs> like you're watching the most violent episode of Wonderbug <laughs> 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 Which sounds pretty good, frankly. Yeah, it's actually, <laughs> Sid and Marty Croft with uh, gangsters. <laughs> I liked some of the gags in this movie. Like I, as I mentioned before, on the back of this box, they show like there's a gunshot to the head. Yeah, and I actually really, I found that really effective. Oh, like when yeah. that happened, I was like, whoa! And I actually had to go back and like watch it again because mm -hmm. it happened so suddenly for me. And it was one of those things where I think that's the situation where 
you didn't realize you're kind of starting to like that character yeah, until, until, until they got killed. Exactly. <laughs> They're like, holy shit, that guy? Yeah. yeah. I, like, I was of all people? I was just starting to like him. <laughs> I like it when directors and writers are not afraid to do that, to like yeah, take yeah. away, like to build you up that character. I mean, don't like overdo it like Game of Thrones where well, it's yeah, like... George R. R. Martin, that's all he does. <laughs> yeah, but like when you take like one or two characters and like you build them up and then <laughs> it happens, I mean, it's kind of sudden and I, I enjoy it. Oh, that. you're starting to love this character? Well, I'm going to skin them alive. Yeah. Oh, you're starting to love this character. I'm going to take their genitals off in front of you. And I don't want to come off as being like a Jack Palance hater because I'm definitely not because I realize like Cocaine Cowboys and Welcome to Blood City. Mm-hmm. I was kind of lukewarm on both of those. And so I want to come out and say it. I think Jack Palance is the best part of this movie. Mm-hmm. I think his performance is like really nuanced. What you guys said earlier about like at the end, you kind of feel bad for him like he's the hero just like how telly savalas is like yeah. kind of the hero it's very similar well, i wouldn't say he's the hero well i'm not, I'm not talking but, about telly i'm talking about jack yeah i don't mean like he's the hero but <laughs> at the end you kind of feel bad for him like he kind of is getting conned and like i don't know i really liked his performance in this and i felt it was compelling and believable and i like that scene where he's on the phone yeah and like he yeah, doesn't yeah. lose his cool yeah now some of the gags were really cool. I mentioned the gunshot in the head, but can we talk about that action sequence at the very, very end? Because Roger mentions like him shooting through the bars, but there's like that whole motorcycle car chase sequence, yeah. which is like over the top. Yeah. Oh, completely. Well, well, the thing that's so great about that sequence is, okay, so Al, Al Cliver has been on the motorcycle for a couple of times in the course of the movie. And then there's a group of the bad guys are in this car that's just driving a seemingly a hundred miles an hour all around the the perimeter. And it's like French Connection. I mean, they're driving yeah. through narrow doorways and skinny- well, well, that's for sure. But I'm talking about even before the chase itself yeah, yeah, happens. Yeah. All right. They're driving around and and it and they keep punctuating the action scene by cutting to the camera in the backseat of yeah. that car. And it just acts as, as a, a, an accelerant to the rest of the action scene. But when finally Al Cliver shows up on the motorcycle, that car is now chasing Al Cliver. Mm-hmm. And then Shots go on for a long, long time in this, and they're literally going through the narrowest doorways possible. Yeah, it's like watching stunt driving in, I don't know, the Born Supremacy or something. That, yeah. Uh, you're like, it, these... No, well, no, no, it's Remy, actually... It's Remy Julian at his yeah, best. You're right. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, you're right. It's Remy Julian. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's completely like Remy Julian style. The greatest, okay, uh, one of his greatest sequences of all time, uh, DeLeo, is the car chase that happens in the middle of... Uh, uh, the Italian connection that anyone who's ever seen it yeah. like considers it one of the greatest car chases of all time. And that's absolutely a Remy Julian chase. Mm-hmm. Uh, DeLeo has given him credit for it. Yeah, because my favorite part of the entire chase is actually that brick ramp that like they go up and like <laughs> the car goes up on the brick ramp and then just like kind of crashes. and like. Well, like, no, not only that, when Roger Sai goes, oh my God, that that actually, that one that looks yeah. like a real crash and it looks like those guys got really fucked up. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, watching that car like kind of Pearl and just yeah. land. Nosedive. Yeah. Nosedive into like a, metal a pile gate. of bricks or something. So it's a metal gate. Yeah, yeah a metal it's like gate. off of the pile of bricks yeah. onto like a metal gate. Yeah. I mean. But a metal gate made out of what pipes. I saw, <laughs> now, unless they're staging some kind of crazy auto jump or something, what I saw in my eye was the driver slamming against the uh, <laughs> the dash and the, and the steering wheel. Well. It looked like he, it looked like. Well, if you look at the movie though. The driver doesn't get out. It looks like the driver got wiped out. Yeah. All right. It's only the guy in the passenger seat that crawls out of yeah. the, uh, the car. Barely crawls out. <laughs> and then gets shot down. Yeah. Yeah, but I loved, like, the dynamic nature of the ending sequence. I felt like it really pumped back up the movie. Yeah. And 
I really liked all the explosions. I mean, what can I say? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the car the explosions in this are pretty first rate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First yeah. rate car explosions. Like when yeah. they're in fact when um well well the cars just go off like a bomb. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Well, like when that Enzo guy blows up the uh, <laughs> yeah. th- that one car when he. I, yeah. Was, like he oh, lights he it on fire. That's what he lights a, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. a fuse and lights yeah. it on fire. And uh-huh. when that car, like it goes over and there's like a little fire next to it. And I was like, oh, they wimped out. Like they're not actually going to blow up the yeah, car. Uh-huh. He's leaving and it's just kind of a little brush fire yeah, around uh-huh. the bottom of it. Uh-huh. And then suddenly it just freaking blew up. And it was like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> it, was like the, it was like a crazy ass explosion. Yeah. And then it was like burning, like, like. Oh, burning like, yeah. Like, uh, like, like out of control. I have only seen that. In the Friedkin sequences in Jerusalem, after that bomb yeah, goes yeah, off, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was a real bomb going off, and he caught a car burning. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> well, as I said earlier, I bought my VHS tape on Good Time, which mm-hmm. you probably shouldn't buy Good Time tape unless you have to, but I liked the box art and I liked the design of it. Mm-hmm. For $2.49, I watched it on YouTube. The quality's pretty good. And to be honest, I actually watched, okay, so I watched like Sonny and Jed, and then I took a 10-minute break, and then I watched mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Scarface. Boy, so you were just- I was like, you were, I was like going through- You um, were freebasing- uh, You were double-fisting Italian. <laughs> <laughs> just another Sunday for me. Yeah. But I mean, I'm like watching it, and to be honest, I'm going, Sonny, yeah. Sonny. So you were still- So in, I was like still riding that high, and so it's hard not for me to like compare well, like- Listen, listen in in fairness, I had the same arc because I Quentin showed wait, me. Wait, 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 it wasn't 10 minutes, but it wasn't much more. Yeah, yeah. it was. We had maybe half an hour in between. Maybe. Maybe. maybe 20 maybe minutes. More more like closer to 20, yeah. And then we jumped right into Mr. Scarface. And then and it had so, that opening great scene, so we were there. Yeah. yeah exactly. I think I was just still singing Sunny yeah, yeah. for it, so. Well, I'm still singing Sunny. Yeah, I'm still I, singing I, Sunny, I too. Movie. Yeah. But I mean, but by the end of Mr. Scarface. I wanted to see the sequel in Rio de Janeiro. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, st- I still want to see it. Also, by the way, when you're talking about his fighting and that he's like, it's kind of like dancing, it's Capoeira. Oh, yeah. That's Actually, he's you doing know Brazilian what? Capoeira. You know what? I, well, should... I think it's a crazy movie Italian Hollywood version Italian movie version it, of Capoeira. Like, capoeira but, but, but that actually kind of makes sense and actually I should ask our friend Mark Dacascos our, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. our mutual friend Mark Dacascos because yeah. uh, he's the Capoeira well, okay. expert. Okay. The only move he does that was impressive, that, that was sort of like pre-Jackie Chan kind of thing, is when he runs up the guy. Yeah, that yeah. was, that when was he the runs up his, When he runs up his chest and then kicks him with the other foot in the face. That was definitely the coolest moment. That was actually like, the best the moment, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's like, imagine him doing capoeira because he loves Brazil, and it's like, I'm trying to do capoeira, I'm trying to do this whole, like, Brazilian thing. Okay, I mean, it just comes across as crazy Terrence Hill, yeah. all right? <laughs> Weird... Italian martial arts. It's, it's you know, a weird go- Italian martial arts while you're wearing Sergio Valenti tight pants. <laughs> it's true. And a Brazil shirt. That yeah, may have, Brazil shirt. I, but I do agree. That may have been capoeira by somebody who's never actually seen capoeira. <laughs> Italian capoeira. Like, hey, uh, my character's into Brazil. Well, you should do capoeira. Okay. What's that? Well, it's like a dance, but it's kung fu. Yeah. <laughs> it's like martial arts, but a dance. And without ever actually seeing it, that is like his interpretation of it, yeah. maybe. American Nitro, starring Tom the Mongoose McEwen and Don the Snake Perdome. Get off on a life and death struggle as you sit behind their 2,000 horsepower engines and move into a split-second kick that gets you off. American Nitro, a high-powered, high-speed motion picture with drive to win. American Nitro, the motion picture that turns Russian roulette 
until kids play. American Nitro. See those dragsters and funny car drivers take their 2,000 horsepower engines and tear up the track. And they're coming off the track and straight onto your screen. American Nitro with co-hit Mr. Scarface will be playing on glorious 35mm film for one night and one night alone on January 26th. 7165 Beverly Boulevard, Los Angeles, California, 90036. For more information, visit thenewbev.com. The New Beverly Cinema, always on film. Be there, be there, be there, be there. So we come back for our third film, which again, from our old friends at Paragon Video Productions, is the movie American Nitro which is a schlockumentary about funny cars <laughs> that was released to, I think, pretty good success uh, in the yeah. late 70s. Very the drive, good success. In the drive-in market. Yeah, made like a million dollars. Apparently documentaries at that time would make like 70K. Yeah. And this made a million. Well, well, these schlockumentaries that were made for the drive-ins actually did pretty good. Like, for, do, you remember, do you remember a film when I, I did the research on the top 20 uh independently released features of the 70s one of the ones in the uh, towards the end of the top 20 was that documentary do you remember it because i remember the, all the tv spots for it dirt no is that a dirt bike movie it was about dirt biking and those big monster trucks yeah, yeah. that go through the mud and everything with their big wheels this is and starting shit. it's starting to come back to me and yeah. then like and then doom buggies all yeah. right and, and go-karts that like race through the mud and the dirt and everything so it was a whole documentary of stuff like this and this fits into that Initially, we saw uh, the American Nitro trailer on one of the other films, one of the other Paragon films that we uh, watched, and it was one of the six trailers on, on the front of it. The trailer looked fucking awesome. Yeah. And I said, hey, look, we got it. And I, we didn't have uh, American Nitro in either the Eddie Brandt's collection or the Video Archives collection. And I go, I want that to be our first documentary. Yeah. You know, and so Gala got on it. Gala got on it and actually found the Paragon video. You know, and yeah, this was one we actually did not have. We did not have, and we went. But we knew we had to have it and to bring it into the collection. We knew we had to get it and bring it into the collection. We wanted it to be our first documentary that we did, and we got it, and we watched it. And uh, this was a lot of fun. It, it, admittedly, it had hot competition between uh, Sonny and Jed and uh, Mr. Scarface, which I think was our for me and Roger, at least, our killer double feature that yeah. we sat down and watched together. But American Nitro was a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. And I'm not even into funny cars. Well, yeah. Necessarily. It, well, like, it, it's it not, actually it reminded me as I was watching like it. Like as a kid, I, I would have never been into this. As an adult, I was like, wow, this is fascinating. I didn't quite know exactly what funny car was 100% until the movie had to describe it. I mean, I knew what those big dragsters were. Yeah. And I knew they were called funny cars, but I didn't quite get exactly what the deal was. And But then the movie goes out of its way to explain it. Well, what's interesting about this documentary, uh -huh. which was kind of unusual for, uh, you know, other documentaries at the mm -hmm. time and, and, you know, that's why Bill Kimberlin was, uh, I think, kind of like on the director. Yeah. The director is like, he was making what he called asphalt anthropology. Mm -hmm. And so he's not making necessarily a funny car movie just to glorify funny cars. He's actually turning his lens to it mm -hmm. with honesty. Yeah. He's showing like the kind of shitty side also. Like he's interviewing people mm -hmm. who are like complaining about this and that. And like, it's not all. No, the mongoose guy's a real asshole. Yeah. Right. The, like, yeah, yeah, he, yeah. And he's going ahead and showing like the, that. And also the kind well, it's, of. It's, it makes it not a. a, a uh, a puff piece. It's not, not a, a puff piece. It's not a puff piece for the funny car industry. It's not an incisive takedown either, all right? But it just shows you 
the, the, the four corners. Read the box. Like, uh, what does the box say? Well, again, it? it's a fucking Paragon box. Their, box. their boxes look great, but their descriptions are terrible. All right. <laughs> well, this one actually might be a little better than most, actually, because it doesn't have a story to ruin. <laughs> Greatest funny car movie ever made. That, dun, may, dun, be, dun, that dun, may be dun, true. I think that is true. <laughs> C, seven of the worst crashes and fires in drag racing history. C, recently legalized side-by-side jet car races. C, stunt vehicles pair off for 200-mile wheel start runs. Yeah, that was impressive. That was pretty cool. C, a motorcycle psycho attempt to jump end-to-end semi-trucks. That guy was awesome. That guy was awesome. (laughs) This fast-paced, never-lets-up action film takes a terrifically funny look at the grins and gashes, the cars and the crashes, the smiles and the smashes that make... Drag racing America's most exciting and humorous spectator sport. Okay, well, that's so drastically the best Paragon back of a box reading ever. See! <laughs> See! No, I know, but they actually wrote it as opposed yeah. to sketching it out. I'll bet you everything that's in my pocket right now that Bill Kimberlin wrote that himself. I think you're probably right. <laughs> it's too good for Paragon. Yeah, it's too good for Paragon. And um, <laughs> and as as this was basically a movie made by a guy and his brother, mm-hmm. I mean, they went out and they bought an eclair no, camera. I would, no, no, look, I, I, would not, I would not doubt if that's not taken directly from the press kit. The thing about the film that, that ended up being the most fascinating for me because uh, – the trailer is just wall-to-wall crashes. Yeah. Wall-to-wall crashes. Which is what you want to see when you're a kid. Yeah, exactly. Wall-to-wall crashes, wall-to-wall cars just bursting into flames. Yeah. Which apparently is like the danger of of funny cars. Yeah. All right. I mean, you're sitting on top of uh, an explosive Yeah, it's like- Basically. you're, You're basically driving a rocket that will either- project itself to the moon or blow up like a bomb. And, there's and you're no- never quite sure exactly. And, and at some point it will blow up like a bomb. Yeah. And you just don't know when. And there's <laughs> no way in and out of the car without having three guys literally lift the body off the car so that you can climb out of the contraption that you're in. in. Like if it's on fire, you just kind of have to hope that they're going to pull you out. Well, I mean, well, one of the things that's interesting in the film, well, they, they show that and they illustrate it. But, uh, you know, one of the stars of, of, of funny car racing was uh, Shirley Chacha Madani. And even though she's not listening in the credits, she's actually in the movie. She doesn't talk to the camera in the film, but they talk about her and you see footage of her, uh, you know, uh, in between races or yeah. something. Heart like a wheel, right? Yeah. yeah. And she's just, you know, the uh, Bonnie Bedelia played her yeah. in the- uh, um, In the Jonathan Kaplan. The Jonathan Kaplan movie, Heart Like a Wheel. And the most intense part of Heart Like a Wheel is there is the part where her car blows up and she's completely engulfed in flame. Yeah. And- the fire suit stops her from getting killed, but she's burnt to a crisp yeah. at the same time, even yeah. though it stops her from getting killed. And it has that intense moment where uh, Anthony Edwards plays her son in mm-hmm. it. And it's like, she has all these other men in her life, but the only man that stays with her is her son at the end. And he comes running out to her and it has that famous close-up where she's got the mask on. I mean, she's got the, the pullover hood of, uh, of the fire suit on her. And you see everything is burnt around her except her wide blue eyes, Sarah. And she's, and and Bonnie Bedelia is is kind of famous for her eyes. Yeah, she has beautiful eyes. And they just have them staring out of this burnt hamburger. All right. It's such an affecting shot. You know, I mean, you're, you're it's very, it's intense. You're truly terrified for her. 
and she truly looks scared out of her wits. Heart Like a Wheel is a wonderful movie. Everybody should see. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a terrific film. I was familiar with some of the racers, not because I was super familiar by following their careers, but from growing up in Los Angeles in the 70s, there was a lot of racetracks yeah. around here. The Saga Speedway. Yeah, and they always advertised on radio all the time. So you have uh, Ascot and Gardena. Ascot. Yeah, hey, Ascot and Gardena. We're the 405 <laughs> and the San Diego Freeway meet. Ascot and Gardena, be, be there! there! <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but if it's not Ascot and Gardena, it's Lions Speedway. If it's not Lions Speedway, it's Irwindale Raceway. Yeah, yeah. And so- you know, it, it's that week coming up, that, you know, they're advertising for their weekend. So they're always throwing out names of who is going to be there. So some of these names I am just familiar with from hearing them on these Irwindale Raceway commercials, you know, so, uh, uh, you know, you know, Don the Snake Purdue, yeah. <laughs> John Shrewsbury, yeah. Shirley Cha-Cha Maldowney, Tommy Ivo. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, those are names that have been running through my, my my head since I was a kid because they've always been, you know. On radio. Yeah, yeah. Big Daddy. Yeah, Big Daddy Ross. Big Sonny Daddy Posters. Ross. Well, said, <laughs> <laughs> William Shatner from yeah, Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> Be there. Be there. <laughs> and Christmas and Santa Claus. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, they would bring snow and stuff. Yeah, so it seems like it's going to be wall-to-wall crashes because that's the, the most exciting footage uh, in the trailer. Okay. Now, what happens in the movie is the crashes all happen in the middle of the movie he, in, a, in a crash montage where it's, it's obviously not done for the movie that they bought the footage yeah. from other crashes. What's actually very interesting about the movie, it does harken back to a time of independent cinema where if there was some sort of a hook, you could piece together a movie about almost anything. There was some sort of personal interest or exciting aspect of, of the storyline. And what I mean by that is this, is I'm, I'm forgetting the name of the raceway that they, do you remember? Fremont? Fremont, Fremont. Fremont Raceway. Do you remember where that was at? Was well, it? Fremont is near San Francisco. It's just across the bay from so San Francisco. So it's still California too. Yeah. He, it's just Bill, one of the many California places. Bill Kimberlin is a San Francisco guy. Okay. Uh, he was um, sort of a commercial, uh, industrial- mm. Industrial um, filmmaker, film, yeah. Filmmaker uh -huh. up there. Well, here's the thing. This is obvious- this entire film, ex except for the stock footage, which is maybe 20% of it, was all shot over a weekend. Yeah. Yeah. They obviously- On an Eclair 16 millimeter camera. Yeah. Because it's it's like, you know, these guys, it's not like these guys just showed up at Fremont every week. No, they were at Fremont for this weekend. Yeah. And then they're at Irwindale Raceway for another weekend. Or they're in Bristol for the next week. It's mm -hmm. like the rodeo. All yeah. right. You know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a circuit and they travel. So they were obviously there for that one weekend. And so they obviously just shot- all day, Saturday and Sunday, and then got together for a few different interviews with the, with only with the mongoose guy. It yeah. looks like it all right. Feels like it. Yeah. Afterwards, but he put together a movie by a weekend of shooting. Yeah, and for that he fucking kicked ass. The use of the stock footage is really terrific. I learned stuff about funny cars that I didn't know before. But the most important thing that I learned that almost becomes the theme of the movie for the first half, but it, it infects the entire film because you kind, of, you kind of now know what you're looking at when you look at these guys. This is not the same thing as being a stock car, as being a, a, a NASCAR driving. It's definitely not the same thing as being a Formula One driver. It's not even the same thing as drag racing. It's not even the same thing as uh, being a motocross driver. Yeah. All right, all right, where those guys, it's a sport you can make a living on. Yeah. It's a sport you can actually, and if you win and you do well, you can make a good living on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, funny cars 
we're like in between. This shows that unless you're Don Perdue, you're not going to make a living. Yeah. Doing Funny Car. All right. I mean, not only that, it just shows that like, for instance, okay, we're, we're recording this in California. Uh, we're in the Hollywood Hills right now. If you fall over to the Hollywood Hills on the Valley side and you go to Riverside Drive on Friday at the Bob's Big Boy, okay, they have a antique custom car show mm-hmm. that happens every Friday night that they, uh, all, all the gearheads around here, all the car clubs, they take their coolest old 50s car you know, they, they go to Bob's Big Boy and they park in the curb service. And it's just a cool car show that happens every Friday night here in Los Angeles. And it's really terrific. And these guys are all just like car enthusiasts that just love their car. And, you know, their family have done without <laughs> to some degree yeah. because they've invested everything in this hobby that they have. These drag racers are the, another prof- level. Yeah. are the 10 steps up, more professional version of them. But they're still coming from the same place. Not only can they not make a living, unless you're Don Perdue, you're not going to make a living off of this. You're going to pay for it. You need to, as as they even said, you need to have at least a hundred thousand. That's to enter, and then you need another hundred k per year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but you really need about two hundred thousand to yeah. be competitive. You got to have like three engines, and made. that's every year. These are custom engines. The individual parts are so expensive. You have to decide. Are you going to race full out? If you race full out, okay, you can do that. And that's going to be you racing at the highest of your field, but you're going to wear out your parts. So you better have the money to replace the parts. Now, if you can't replace the parts, then you can't race full out. You need to save your parts or else you're going to go bankrupt. Yeah. This is their life. This is their life. This is their passion. This is their love. They're giving everything they have to it and some things they don't have to it. And the whole family... It has to be down with it or you don't have a family. Yeah. You know, the wife the wife has to sign off on this. The kids have to sign on off on this because this is what they're doing. This is their life. This is their life. This is obviously the most important thing in their dad's life. He describes how the the kind of wear and tear that the parts go under mm-hmm. and that the engine gets so hot that uh, thin pieces of metal like the exhaust pipe become transparent. Yeah, translucent, yeah, yeah. rather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Where you can actually, they're so hot, they're so white hot mm-hmm. that you can see through them. Like a piston can blow through. He talked about one guy who mm-hmm. the engine blew up and a bolt came off of it and shot into the mm-hmm. um, the cabin and shot a guy. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I think like a gun, bam. Bam. It's just like suddenly you've got a bolt going through your body. Uh-huh. And and then you're doused in flames. Mm-hmm. And, and these are these are guys who are for very little, they're, like you said, they're sacrificing and their mm-hmm. pro- families are probably sacrificing mm-hmm. for very little gain. And it's, a, and yeah. and their, and their lives for, are for absolutely love. at risk for, lo- for just love, you know? And then, and it's, but it's like, a, um, it's that combustible thing. This rocket will either launch in the sky or it will blow up. And at some point it will blow up at some point when you're racing, that gas is going to hit that exhaust pipe and you're going to be doused in flames or it's just going to fucking blow up. That's going to happen eventually. One day or another, it will happen. Yeah, it's a numbers game. It's a numbers game, exactly. It's a numbers game. Franklin Browner wrote a little something about this. 
<laughs> One can imagine George Lucas seeing the asphalt anthropology doc American Nitro, and not with any small amount of jealousy, immediately hiring its director, Bill Kimberlin, to keep him occupied at ILM, editing VFX for his entire career as an act of protectionist revenge. <laughs> Sure, those Lucasfilm VFX look tight, and Kimberlin is the best VFX editor out there. But what we as an American audience may have lost was the career of a director who was trespassing and exploring Michael Moore's territory long before Michael had planted his flag. <laughs> That's what Franklin Browner thinks. <laughs> <laughs> what happened was in 1982, Bill Kimberlin, who was an industrial filmmaker in San Francisco after mm -hmm. making this documentary and actually having uh, great success with it, got hired as the VFX editor on Return of the Jedi and never looked back. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, after that, started doing every big ILM uh, production well, from there on out. And I find it entirely believable that uh, with George Lucas's love for this type of car and this type of which, which is... Half the reason he made American yeah. Graffiti. Yeah, and the movie is, a, it, it, the title is in fact a reference to American Graffiti. Yeah. And it's like, uh, uh, I have no doubt he saw it and he probably fucking loved it. Oh, he, uh, for sure. For sure. That's why he hired him. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. why uh, he gave yeah. him the, the leg up and, uh, and, you know, and the, the, and the why, career, why he Why he hired Dan O'Bannon, all right? You for know, sure. Because of his work in uh, Dark Star. Yeah. I mean, he was inspired by Russ Meyer. Yeah, uh, to make this movie. By Warren Miller, by Russ Meyer, by mm -hmm. guys who would make things. Bruce Brown. Bruce Brown. Own them. We were talking about it the other night. The kind of guys who would make, mm -hmm. distribute. Uh, yeah, yeah. The one man shows. The one man shows. The Ken so, Shapiro's, the Russ Myers, yeah, the Tom Laughlin. Yeah, yeah. He he was inspired by that, and so he went out. He and his brother bought a 16 millimeter Eclair and a Nagra, and like you said, went out on a weekend and shot this documentary. I mean, like you. I mean, in the 60s, you could rent a soundstage for four days. Yeah, and then uh, if you want to do a a, a, a British invasion jukebox musical then you get like seven british invasion acts you had to get the animals you had to get a few of those in there and then for four days you film two songs each yeah two songs each and then uh you know either buy a stock footage of either the beatles the shea stadium or the dave clark five doing something and now you've got a jukebox musical you yeah. made it in four fucking days yeah just the idea that you could put a movie together like this is just so romantic to me i can't tell you and you're describing it in a very romantic way, too, the it, way you're talking about the two brothers. Yeah, and, and they're brothers, and it's like a, a one, basically a two-man act. Mm -hmm. I mean— And the, the movie, is, in edit, in the truth, movie it's a, is edited really, really well. In truth, and, it's and, a, Bill, and Bill edited it. It's probably like a 10-person act, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in reality. The, but it's really these two brothers that are doing it. And then they went out, and so uh, the movie was like, uh, like a dynamite hit, actually. And by the way, uh, I love Pam. The girl that like lines up the uh, that steals the show. All right, it's so obvious that the Kimberlin brothers just like, oh my god, this girl Pam is just amazing. And like, it, it, it's again, it's a job I didn't know existed. It's like there's uh, uh when when the cars are getting on the line. Yeah. First, they have to do a little bit of a run so they can lay a little rubber. Yeah, on I the never, track. I, I make... never ever understood that why they were always doing these false starts. Yeah. At the like the mm. wheels spin and all the yeah. smoke goes up. And I uh -huh. thought, oh, they're just showing off for the audience. And maybe that's what it began. Well, at. they make a point. They go, well, uh, the, the announcer, the guy yeah. is the announcer is almost acting he's like the narrator. Great. He's getting he's really great. good. He's, he's really, really good. good. And he's uh, in stereo. And, he, uh, <laughs> and he's like, now you think he's just showing off for the audience. And if you're enjoying it, great. That's fine. But no, no, 
Yeah, I think it's a combination of one. They got to lay a little rubber on the track, but they got to get the wheels. Yeah, it he- grips better. Up. The, the yeah. hot wheel on the on the uh, on track. the rubber on the on the asphalt. Yeah, it grips better and allows them to get a you know a microsecond start faster. Yeah, and uh, but after they keep going back and forth, they need to be lined up again, and then they have this girl with huge breasts and short, short pants. Yeah, like cutoffs. That are- cutoffs. I mean, like, she's a hot mama. And you see her- And she behaves like one. Yeah. She's in charge. Yeah, exactly. You drivers are coming in and you're leaving. This is my motherfucking track. Yeah. And I will tell you how to line it up. And when I point to the left, you fucking get your ass to the fucking left. That's what time it is. She is so bossy, all right, in her hand signals. that Like, you just fall in love with her. Pam is just amazing. Oh, it's they like, only say her name twice. And the first time they say it, it's it's almost half-hearted. But I, her name's Pam, all right? <laughs> Well, it's like these line. And then they, they say later, they go, well, nobody's looking at the driver. Everyone's watching Pam. <laughs> it's almost like her job is to be the dominatrix of the track. Yeah. Uh-huh. Because she's out there, like, you know, kind of yelling at him. And yeah. well, she's, not yell- over. she's not yelling at all. Okay. She's not she, yelling. She's no, doing hand She's yelling signals. with her hand. Yeah. She's doing these and by the gesticulating. Way, and by the way, she's not being the dominatrix to the driver she's being the dominatrix to these gigantic machines yes and she's making the machine these huge machines bend to her will she's amazing (laughs) (laughs) yeah and and they she wins my award for best supporting actress (laughs) well that that, well that whole sequence where they they show the women the women of funny car racing just like in the audience the girls on the track and everything oh I love that, that yeah. they just took their time to yeah. go ahead and deliver. Well, he's, he's got 90 minutes to fill, all right? <laughs> yeah, he had a weekend to shoot it, so he's got to yeah. make it stretch out 90 minutes. But again, and if you were a girl in Fremont on that day, you're in American Nitro. Oh, you, t- <laughs> oh, oh, you mean the big boob montage? The big boob montage. The big boob but it was montage any- is one of the wildest things we've seen since we started watching these movies I'm not even for sure this it's show. a big boob montage. I think it's an every boob montage. Every boob in Fremont. Well, I thought that initially until I realized a third into it that all the girls had big boobs. <laughs> in Fremont. And, uh, <laughs> all the girls that they show in the montage have big boobs and then just, and in case there was ever any question about it, he starts zooming into the boobs <laughs> in the last 15% of it. All right, it, There's an actual zoom into the boobs. Yeah, right? We actually were like, wait a minute, is he doing it? He did it. Oh, he did it. He did it. He did. That's one of the most remarkable things. He's shameless. He's shameless. <laughs> okay, you can joke about that all you want. At the same time, every single woman from the stands that they showed had such personality. Oh, they were all characters. They were all characters. The one, the fact that they would decide to go spend their day going to a funny car show, all right, and like be totally down with it. Their hairstyles, their clothes, the look on their face, the fucking beer they were drinking or the popsicle they were sucking. I mean, it's just it's just character, 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 character. I wanted to hear every one of those women's voices. Yeah, this this really was a great glimpse of America 1979. Also added to the fact that this could have been done in Bristol, Tennessee. This could have been done in North Carolina. It's not. It's done by San Francisco. Yeah. So this is the California version of these people. Yeah, and in fact, it's... I mean, Fremont's not that far from Modesto, yeah, uh-huh. even. And so the American graffiti connection is still yeah, there. Yeah. I mean, oh, that's right. yeah, this you're part right. of the world is a part of the world that loves this- uh, Right on. This kind of uh, 
car adoration culture. And then the last point I'm going to bring up is uh, the emergence as the film goes on of Don the Snake Perdue being the superstar. Yeah. Like the, I mean, literally the Richard Petty of this sport, the king. Yeah. The king. And he looks it. He looks, he's not classically handsome. I, I would but, say but, he's but, the opposite of classically handsome. But especially compared to the other drivers and because of his cool suit and his cool style. His rugged style. And his rugged style and those cool colors that he has, yeah. you know, on, the, on his leathers, that almost red, white, and blue yeah. colors that he has on his leathers. And then just his mastery. He knows he's the man. I mean, it, they make the point he has not lost a race in a year, if not even a year and a half. Yeah. And when and when he's racing, it actually is kind of stunning because he is smoking people. He is like way ahead. Yeah. I mean, so I mean, so he looks like the handsomest fucking sexy stud in the fucking world in this yeah. movie, which is what you look like when you are the man. Well, he's when a, you are the man. He has a little you bit are of undisputedly a, the man. He is undisputedly the man. He has a little bit of a Steve McQueen feel. He does. To Steve McQueen wishes he was fucking Don Perdue. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm yeah, sure yeah. he was like in love with him. It was I'm in love with him. Yeah. <laughs> as much as I enjoyed it, after the first hour, I, I, it, it was getting a little tiring. I, I, I yeah. was like, okay, okay. I think they've said everything they're going to say. So uh, I'm thinking I'm going to have to tolerate the last 20 minutes that it's just going to dribble away into just other races and everything. Well, I have to say I was wrong. There is there is a tiring aspect to the last half hour to 20 minutes, but they do break it up in a big way because that's when the motorcycle guy on the hang glider. Yeah, it's a triumphant moment. Is going to jump a series of... of, of, of He's going to do a, a world record. He's going to do a world record. We're going to jump a series of semis that no guy on a motorcycle could ever make. Yeah, and everybody's like, this guy's going to get fucked up. This guy, like, Let's watch this guy wipe out. This guy is a fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah. And he looks he look, like a dork with his crazy He looks like a dork. He does not look like Evil Knievel. They, look- they even talk about how his contraption, if he crashes, will kill him. Oh, yeah. Because of the way well, the cage not is. Only, not only that. It looks jerry-rigged to the max. It does not look... No no Yamaha fucking uh, uh, thing designed this thing. He just, with a welding torch, he apparently just added a hang glider to his motorcycle. And it looks as jerry-rigged as if if I did it. Yeah, it's like an ornithopter before the Wright brothers or something. Like, will that fly? Yeah. (laughs) And then you watch the jump. Yeah. And it's fucking really... Cool. Not only that, <laughs> Bill Kimbrell puts a camera behind it, and that shot yeah, that's of him a great flying shot. through the air when you see passing the trucks underneath him. That shot was amazing. Yeah. When he kind of stands up to lean into the yeah. into it, so, yeah. so you can get a little bit more range, and and then you re- and, and then you realize this guy's not crazy at all. Not only does he pass the trucks he goes further yeah he goes way further he goes way <laughs> further than the trucks and then lands hard like a fucking stone on two wheels and it's just fine yeah he's he knows how to handle that thing i mean it looks top heavy and impossible to keep it it balanced. is it is top heavy <laughs> and impossible and you have to be an expert on how to run that exact motorcycle like that guy is yeah and if that wasn't enough We've seen at least three Don Perdue races in there. And in every single one of them, 
they build up the second guy so it's exciting. Yeah. And you just watch Dom beat him. But then they do it again. And the best win he has is that last one. Yeah. I mean, he just smokes that guy as if he was standing fucking still. Yeah. It was as if that guy was parked. <laughs> yeah, it really is. <laughs> He's so far ahead. And it's only a six, six seconds. It's six seconds. It's a the six. race is six seconds long. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so it's like, it happens like that. And yet he is way ahead. It's crazy how far ahead he is. Yeah. That's how much better he is. It's how, it's how much the man he is. And the movie pretty much just ends on him leaving the track. Yeah. You know, and that's it. That's it. Movie's over. Yeah. Movie's over. When Don Perdue leaves, movie's over. <laughs> And we're back. Gala, what did you think about the film that you so ingeniously and appreciatively found for us on Paragon Home Video? American Nitro. I am so glad I was able to find American Nitro because there's only one of these tapes on eBay. I've kind of kept up and like looked like throughout Mm -hmm. the weeks after I found it. And there's not another one. (laughs) So I got it. Ha ha. Sucks to suck everyone. But it's mine. (laughs) Eat shit. Yeah, basically. Pound sand, everybody. (laughs) So for all my gearheads out there, please watch this movie. I love cars. This is a thrill. I'm I'm a car lover. I used to drive a 1996 Miata, Mazda Miata. I like I had the most fun in yeah, that Yeah, Gala's car. first car was like a little like stock blue, like race car. It's blue as her shirt like <laughs> I love cars. I love watching cars get raced. I love funny cars. So for me it was a delight to watch this. For me in the best way possible, it doesn't really feel like a documentary. Like when I heard like, oh, we're going to be watching a documentary, I kind of like imagined like, you know, you have people explaining to you all it's this stuff. It's a schlockumentary. <laughs> Explain to me, what is a schlockumentary? What a schlockumentary is, is. It's asphalt anthropology. Yeah. I'm going to cut both of you off. <laughs> this is asphalt anthropology. <laughs> okay. Now you can continue with your. <laughs> Pontification. Yes. Go for it. It's not meant to be any more. Um disrespectful than black exploitation is meant to be necessarily disrespectful. It's just yeah. a play on words. All right. But the idea behind it is it is a documentary. They're going out and filming real stuff, but it's not made from the high-minded, serious perspective that most documentaries are made. It's made for the audience and the people that will uh, uh, go and see this movie. Bottom line is a schlockumentary usually makes money or not, not today where documentaries, but yeah. forever. All right. Yeah. Documentaries then. died at the box office where schlockumentaries, all right, uh, catering towards a certain crowd, whether it's a movie about Manson. Or like all the sun films, for example. The sun films, the, the, the nature movies, all the Mondo Connie movies. Okay. Those are all schlockumentaries. Like Alaska Adventure. Is that yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, they, they, they have some exploitable element, all right, that a certain subculture will appeal to. And you're not going to show the man who skied down Mount Everest at a drive-in, but you're going to absolutely show American Nitro at a drive-in. Yeah, and pack and pack the drive-in. I actually like love this style of documentary. So I love schlockumentaries, I guess. I think you do because, I, I, and I would I would bet that on in, when it comes to you. <laughs> actually, yeah, yeah. Well, because I love how natural it felt. Like I'm watching it, and I'm like, I'm actually learning stuff without it being like spoon-fed to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I'm naturally feeling like I'm in a time capsule. Mm-hmm. Like I'm on the raceway in American Nitro. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I was part of the crowd. 
And I loved that about this movie. There's like no talking heads. Like you have some interviews like where they're interviewing people, but like one guy's leaning up against the side of his car. The army guy is like being filmed from like below. Like he's like standing there with the sun behind him. I actually love that whole, th- that too. the army is a major sponsor an early sponsor. Yeah, 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 yeah. In, in this it's like, hey, uh, in these this people field. that come to see this is the people we want. <laughs> well, yeah, it was America. It's interesting because the army identified this is America. Yeah, yeah. And, and that is where, that is our market. And so the army went there and put money into cars and uh, multiple cars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, that's my favorite part of the movie is yeah. all the army stuff. I like stuff. that guy. I like that army guy. Because I love all of the, like, they called them exhibition vehicles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I loved all the ones that like looked like tanks. And I, like, loved how oh, he I love those rocket cars. The rocket cars and the, the rocket cars were cool yeah but all the exhibition vehicles were so cool because they're not really there to race they're just there to show off like here's our designs mm-hmm. here's our yeah. logos here's what we stand for like the hell on wheels and how yeah, he like yeah, talks yeah, about yeah. the pastor comes up to him and is like oh like hell like in your title uh-huh. it's it was just really fun i feel like i'm in a time capsule it's just like how slith is yeah like it's like a time capsule yeah, yeah, that well, period like this is a time capsule of those that weekend mm-hmm. now the weird part of the movie is what i called the woman part because mm-hmm. they talk about the female driver and they're like, yeah, whatever. Like, who cares about her? The mongoose. Now, is wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. Mongo- That's not the movie saying that. No, no, That's the mongoose. Yeah. The mongoose. Don't, don't okay. blame that on the brothers. Okay, I'm not. Well, for sure not. <laughs> but they follow that up immediately with the boob part. Where they zoom in specifically on that woman wearing that striped shirt with her giant breasts. With like the Paul Williams brass music playing behind. <laughs> it's like a good choice. <laughs> Bizarre. It was like the it was like Muppet Show no, music. No, 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 yeah, I, think yeah, I yeah. even said that yeah, while you watching did. it. He did say that. It's like, like the Muppet okay, Show. <laughs> the boobs are the Muppets. And the I boobs are the Muppets. I am not arguing that it's bizarre. All right. <laughs> I still hold that every one of those women had a tremendous amount of character. No, I think to be honest, that was one of my oh, yeah. favorite parts when I'm talking about it as a time capsule. Seeing all these like natural women. Yeah, yeah. Just like themselves, like in their titty shirts, <laughs> braless, yeah, and like braless. you have big boobs, small boobs. Yeah. You have girls in tank tops. You have girls posing. You have girls like a little shy to be there. This is part of the mm-hmm. anthropology of the Fremont Speedway. <laughs> it's I, also well, part of the women's liberation, if we're being honest, yeah. that the women are actually out there on the speedway, but no, braless. That's, yeah, braless. That's, that's well said. And I would say, and and I, and, 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 and I would also, say, if you're talking about empowerment, there's nobody in the movie, except, in, for, except, for, except for Don Perdue. <laughs> yeah. There is nobody in the movie is empowered as yeah. Pam. She is in charge. <laughs> she is in for charge. For sure. For sure. That's Pam's raceway and everybody else is just fucking invited. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> everybody else is a guest. <laughs> so the crash sequence is like bizarre to me because it has like this crazy music that kind of reminds oh, me of Sorcerer. It was like a horror movie. Oh, yeah, no, no, exactly. The oh, music the, in this even, is amazing. Actually. No, that first, the first thing after the little opening, whatever, when they're just getting the long dragsters yeah. up on, and they're playing that weird, eerie music. I go, wow, that's really well done. Like freaking Goblin or something. Yeah. It, was, yeah. it does feel like Goblin. Yeah. 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 It's great. Yeah. It's great. I Goblin forgot, more I, than Tangerine Dream. More yeah. like Goblin. I yeah. forgot yeah. to I forgot to mention, because it's it's it sends a chill down your spine. Yeah, yeah. It's like, Whoa! Like this weird sounds that yeah, they're doing. Yeah, almost like yowling or howling or yeah, something. It's so intense, actually. And, yeah. and you're watching somebody, like, for, in, for anyone who's- I mean, yeah, for anyone who's been in an accident, like th- this is a person going through an accident times 10, times 20. Uh, the, the, the thing is spinning around and rolling. Yeah, you can. Like it's just, it's impossible first, to imagine I mean, going through what's that. what's wild in the crash sequences is not just when they crash or flame out, but when 
the car goes out of control and then wipes out the other car. Yeah. yeah. And then like, and Which then is into, the, into the audience. Yeah. yeah. And then it's just, and then it's just fucking mayhem. All right. Yeah. And they just see plastic and fiberglass just flying everywhere. Yeah. And if you hadn't told me like this movie was like about cars, because I was thinking about it when you just like see like the, the flat wasteland that is around them, yep. like Fremont. on the track, mm-hmm. Fremont. Mm-hmm. And you see the guys in those like, metal like the silver suits yeah that guy's great and you hear the racetrack and it's like jet engines Mm -hmm. it almost feels like i'm going to space yeah yeah yeah. like it i don't know how to describe it besides like i feel like they're walking on the moon and Mm -hmm. i'm really interested in guys and girls that do solo sports like swimmers surfers pilots and drivers also Mm -hmm. because they're doing the sport where you have to be all by yourself in like these little compartments Mm -hmm. yeah and honestly this feels like you're going to the moon like they are in these jet engines yeah that are gonna catapult them no they seem like rockets more than they seem like cars yeah much more so than a normal racing car and and some of them are some of them were rockets with uh now roger mentioned uh bill kimberlin he has a website you guys can go to which is americannitro.com if you want to hear more about the movie and he has like a little bit of a blog post about like how he uh like made the movie and like his other film before american nitro which i couldn't find online anything about it oh his uh made out of stills yeah he did a movie uh, i think it's a boxing it's a box- film it's about a boxing match i and think he, that happened and, in the 30s and he had stills mm-hmm. and he was like well how do i make this into a movie and he figured like i'll do a movie with stills and so the like whole like Jeté? Yeah, like La Jeté. He has this one line that, that he says, and he says, I got my shot, and by 1982, I was working for George Lucas on the biggest movies in the world. If I have any regrets, it is that I did not stay in directing, trying to perfect my skills. And I totally agree with Roger. Mm. I wish he had made more movies. Me too. I wish he had made more documentaries because I feel like all these influences, like I felt influences, honestly, from Sorcerer. I feel a little bit of influence from the Great Waldo Pepper when I watch it. I feel like all these different, like, for sure, Great Waldo Pepper, classic yeah, movies. which we haven't talked about yet, but we'll eventually. We will, and yeah. we will eventually. But uh, we just saw that recently, actually, and uh, I hadn't made that connection, but that connection is very well made. Like I don't want to, I don't want to talk too much about uh, Great Waldo Pepper right mm-hmm. now, but the the reason people go to these spectacles is to see the horror. Yeah, yeah. To see the crash. And what they don't want to see is the horror. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so there's this kind of attraction and repulsion going on that makes for America. Yeah. And so as Roger said, and we all kind of talked about earlier, Bill Kimberlin went on to work in uh, visual effects. And Roger mentioned that he did Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi, but here's some other titles. Revenge for of the Jedi. Okay, Revenge of the, the Jedi. Original the title. original title. Okay. And enough of that Episode Six shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you mean the third one of the yeah, trilogy? Yeah, the third one. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I'm a I'm a Trekkie, so yeah. I'm not the one to ask the about Star Wars. The third one of the trilogy, not this made up bullshit. <laughs> I'm not yeah. the one to ask about Star Wars titles. Yeah. But here's some other movies that he's worked on because these are all movies that all of us have seen as a visual effects editor as a visual yeah. effects editor he did star trek 3 search for spock gangs of new york mars attacks saving private ryan jumanji the mask starman the back to the future trilogy who framed roger rabbit he did eddie murphy's the golden child which is like a really weird sure, one sure. you he, like that i like eddie murphy i don't really like that movie, <laughs> but he did, he's done a lot of stuff and like we have a lot to oh, think he's the best at what he does i yeah. mean he's the guy you go to one of the things that's interesting about this show that I'm discovering from time to time is just when you look up some of these credits and like, oh, wow, I could have been directing this movie or something like that. And my production manager was the guy who back in the 70s did this fucking crazy monster movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the, the Stephen Trackler Award. <laughs> yeah. To- he gets the Stephen Trackler Award. He absolutely award. gets the Stephen Trackler <laughs> Award. <laughs> 
Okay, if you're not as lucky to get a Paragon VHS tape for $75 like I was, you can actually buy the DVD for American Nitro by going to AmericanNitro.com. It is $19.95 plus shipping and handling. You can even order it old school by mail by like actually mailing them a check, which I thought was kind of cool because not everyone does that anymore. Um, and that money's going directly to Bill. Yeah, yeah. and it's going directly <laughs> yeah. to the director. Yeah. The official DVD- Support Bill. Mm-hmm. Seriously. The official DVD is actually using the original negative from their archives. Mm-hmm. Do not buy a DVD that is not from AmericanNitro.com because there are bootleg DVDs out there. So make sure you get it from their website. If you cannot buy the DVD, this is available on Vimeo to rent for $8 directly from Bill. Oh, okay. So you can support him digitally and rent this movie. Way to go, Bill. Way to go, Bill, man. Yeah, this is one of the rare instances where there's a place to go to where you're paying your money and it's going directly in the pocket to the person who made it. Yeah, And actually, it's so rare that it's the first time it's shown up. Yeah. All right, on the show. This is an individual. This is an individual. Who's who's, uh, living or dying by whether you pirate this or not. So don't pirate it. Oh, I don't think he's living or dying. (laughs) I think that little hyperbole. Metaphorically. In the middle of the time while he's doing uh, Willow. (laughs) He did not do Willow, by the way. He might have. No, he didn't. Okay. (laughs) He should have. Yeah. He's doing the last Starfighter. (laughs) Again, though, that is AmericanNitro.com. They're coming in. California's top funny car drivers are coming this Saturday night to Irwindale Raceway. It's an all-out factory showdown with such outstanding entries as Gas Ronda and his Ford Mustang. Charlie Allen and his Dodge Dart, the 188-mile-per-hour Hemi Cuda. The sensational Doug Setter's Corvair, the Harry Canary Plymouth from Northern California. D. Keaton's flip-top Mercury Comet, the Bloomin' Bullet Chevy Camaro, and many, many more. They'll all be battling it out for a special $1,000 first prize. It's the showdown of the year. Ford, Chrysler, and General Motors all clashing at Irwindale Raceway for an all-out open competition. No increase in prices. Don't be late. Qualifying ends at 6.30. The first round of eliminations get underway at 7 p.m. Also in the same show, a wild eight-car A-gas supercharged bonus event. That's this Saturday night, two miles north of West Covina and the San Bernardino Freeway, Irwindale Raceway. Okay, let's give us some awards. Yeah. Okay. Okay, uh, wait, before we begin, Quentin, is Telly Savalas the lead? No, no, he's definitely a supporter. Oh, okay. the box he's the lead. Well, yeah. that box he's the lead. He's not even on the, the, the real box. All right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. The real box being the Japanese. The, the real box being the Japanese with the real artwork. Yeah. yeah. Right? And presented with a sense of class. Yeah. <laughs> People who understood what they were releasing. Yeah. I'll start off with what I think is easy. Okay, so Samik. Uh, Corbucci wins Best Director. Best, uh, easily. Who else? Yeah, 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 exactly. Though I'm going to ultimately vote for Corbucci, I'm just going to make a case for Bill Kimberlin because mm-hmm. he's kind of a, not kind of, he is a one-man act. Yes. And so he's taking on a lot more in some in some ways. I would agree. I would still give it to Corbucci, but, and also in that same uh, tone, I would also give it to Sonny and Jet for editing as good as the editing of American Nitro is, because it's all about editing and that's sure. all Bill. Sure, sure. All three of these movies are very strong. All three of the movies are strong directorially. All three of the movies are strong when it comes to the cinematography. All three of the movies are strong when it comes to editing. I mean, strong as hell. Kerbucci's just in a different class. 
I absolutely agree. On principle, I'm going to give editing to American Nitro. Okay. Because it is literally, as you said, created out of nothing. Yeah. There is no screenplay. There's no plot. There's no, there, all there is it, is it, that weekend. It is created out of two days of shooting, like yeah. a madman. And so I'm going to like go ahead and give it to, even though I, without question, Corbucci and uh, yeah, yeah. is best director and uh, frankly, best film as well. And best cinematography? Easily. Easily. <laughs> Luis Quadrati. Luis Quadrati has given me a term that I a term that I call the Quadrati equation. <laughs> and his Quadrati equation in in this movie involved a cinematic effect that I had never seen anybody mm. do, mm-hmm. had never noticed anybody do, which was that little yeah, pen, light lens, thing, yeah. pen light lens flare trick. Uh, which I can't wait to do on my next movie. <laughs> yeah. And um, Bob Richardson's going to love it. <laughs> yeah. And and furthermore, I want to give Best Camera Operating Award to Gaetano Valle, assisted by Enrico Cerezo uh, and Guillermo Pena. Mm-hmm. Those guys are MVPs on this film. And then in that same category where all three of the movies are strong in this category, but there is an ultimate winner. I think Morricone absolutely wins best score, but the Louise Bakalov score for Mr. Scarface is terrific. And the art yeah. Twain music for American Nitro is terrific. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, <laughs> All three of these are strong as shit. I have, but nevertheless, Morricone is Morricone. It, the man is exactly. the man. All right? it, exactly. I mean, we, all of us, when we came in today, sunny, were, sunny, sunny, like that is like, sunny, a it's a freaking earwig that climbs into your head and like fix, fixes itself inside of there. It just doesn't let go. See? Sunny. 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 Yeah, he's like, Sean, Sean. Yeah, just like, Best lead actor. Thomas Million. No, Thomas Million. Thomas yeah, Million. Yeah, Come yeah, on. Yeah, Thomas that Million. guy is eating it up. Yeah. He's well, eating it up. You know what? I can't. I'm, I'm so. You, there's so many more cool, including Corbucci films, but including other kind of thing of other Thomas Million movies for you to see. But this was a perfect one to introduce him to you. Thomas Million is just fantastic in this mm-hmm. film. Yeah. He's like eating it up. He's completely eating it up. And. It is something to be as loathsome as Thomas Million is in this film. And yet by the end, right, you're you're down. You're with him. You're down. He's so charismatic. It's yeah, yeah. Difficult not to be. The scene with Susan George tries to rob the crap table. That scene is so funny. And he comes in there, he goes, No, 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 don't pay attention to her. She fell on her head when she was a little child. She's an idiot. Isn't she funny? <laughs> <laughs> Let's get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, everyone. <laughs> what are you doing? You can't just do that in, the, in this room. Why not? Like, she's actually, at that point, crazier than him. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> and, okay. that, and that kind of well, scares again, him a little. Then, yeah, and that shot ends up just, wow, what yeah. a shot. Okay, I I don't want to talk about it too much, but also the moment where he like leaves her to go be with like the actress or yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the wife. The wife of the and guy. And she comes in and she's like holding on. She's like, you too. Like, yeah. put him up. He's like, me, really? Yeah, like, come, come on. on. Yeah, again, when she's, Treading back to the, the, that, you know, how horrible he was during the, yeah. the stagecoach robbery. Me? <laughs> okay, everybody. No, you too. <laughs> such a good moment. Oh, I love that movie. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, so Thomas Millan all the way around? Yes. All the way around. Susan George all the way around? Yes. 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 Like, yes. Even more on. so. Even yeah. more so. Come on. If there's, a, if there's a, even a more so. Yeah, don't get me talking about Susan George anymore because we'll be here all night. Hey, so. you could, I, I, I encourage that. All right. I'm the... <laughs> Big Susan George fan. Look, when it comes to Sonny and Jet, I, I, I think it you know, 
it just sweeps the three acting awards. All right, of uh, uh, best actor, best uh, best actress, and best supporting actor. Well, yeah, because Telly Savalas. Yeah, 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 Telly Savalas. But I. I definitely go with Pam. All right. Uh, for American Nitro for Best Supporting Actress. <laughs> yeah. I'll go with that. Yeah, sure. I will too. I think we're all in agreement today. What a rare happening. Yeah, that's uh, never happened. This has never happened. happened. Yeah. It's never ever and we can, happened. And we can give the Stephen Trackler uh, Honorary oh, Award oh, to American Nitro. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. I've got one. I've got a good one. And this will probably be different for all of us. Best shot or cinematic image. Well. Oh. Uh, that's easy for me. Okay, you want to go first then? Because I have one too. The one that felt like I was watching a magic trick when it happened or a mm-hmm. a delicate and uh, precise dance move mm-hmm. was the hanging of that guy. The just the, Oh my God, that was so amazing. We hadn't, didn't even talk about where, it. Where the noose oh, comes that, down, that is, goes around his neck. And it's then, actually one of the most seamless action sequence. It's so realistic that you almost don't know what you saw for a second. Honestly, it's quiet. I did it's not quiet. know. It's yeah. so quiet uh-huh. when it happens. I had to go back because I was like, wait a second. What just happened? Like, he does it so effortlessly, so smoothly. So smoothly and, even, and, even way, and as a secondary gesture. Yeah. And even the way he does it, and we're being, we're, we're being purposely obscure. The fact that it's not just yank the guy up as you go down. He goes halfway down because he has to take his hat off him on his way down. Yeah, it's it's a ballet. <laughs> it's a ballet move. Yeah, it's, it's incredibly sophisticated movements. It looks like the kind of thing you and would see a, in a '90s Hong Kong movie, except it doesn't look as sweated over yeah. as it is in a Hong Kong movie. And there's there's horses involved in the yeah. gag. There's horses involved, and there's Thomas motion. Is yakking all the way through he's, it. He's doing a long dialogue sequence throughout yeah. the entire thing. Uh-huh. It's it's simply an extraordinary shot that you're like if you achieve that alone Mm -hmm. in a movie you can be proud of yourself so uh, for me that was uh one of the more powerful wow moments no well it's definitely a wow moment that's for sure uh and it's fantastic i would um i would pick the shot at the beginning that starts on sunny riding the wagon into town and then she stops and you don't know why she stops then it whip pan yeah. and moves out to Telly Savala. zooms then, out. It's like five compositions in one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then just the way that whole plays until the shot is over just blew us away, blew, blew our socks and off. What's funny is in this movie, that was happening constantly with yeah, us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We oh, were yeah. constantly saying, oh my God, look at that shot. Every time- how did, how, how did they do that? How did the focus guy- No, it's 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 crazy. Every time it. we tried to talk through the movie about talking about something about the film, we realized we were fucking up a great shot. Yeah. All right. That something magnificent was happening that we just fucking lost. Yeah. Because we were talking for two seconds. Because every single shot- And we had to go is, back. Is, yeah. is, a, is uh-huh. a complicated move. It's yeah. a dance move in itself. I could give it to Telly Savalas on his beautiful horse with the beautiful coat, because mm-hmm. that was like when I started getting really into the movie. I was like, okay, I see it here. Mm-hmm. But the moment I keep going back to, honestly, is Sunny looking through the window at yeah. the two people kissing. Yeah. And I know I talked that about is, it before. No, no, that's no, a magic, that's that's a magic, magic. That's like the moment that I fell in love with Sunny. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I understood her as a woman. And that's, I just, that was the moment I was hooked on her. Real tears, yeah. you know, that, without question, real tears, but I'm just, but real pain, yeah. real, yeah. real anguish. Yeah. yeah. She's just, she's just fucking great in this movie. She's she, really good She at this. is really, really terrific. In it. And, and you bra- go, Susan George. And yeah, brave. Susan and, George. and brave. She's like, yeah. you know, she's she's downplaying her own beauty and embracing the Corbucci dirt mm-hmm. yeah, of yeah. the world. Uh-huh. God, I'm just like thinking back to the movie now and it's also like the scene where they like rob the convenience store where like he's po- pocketing all the watches and she's yeah. trying oh, to yeah, 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 yeah. 
Oh, she's hysterical she's in that so thing. With, good. With all her little talks with the boot guy. I thought, well, take a walk. I little, think I will. <laughs> and I love it. They're a little tight. And it's yeah. like you're just talking to someone like a Nordstrom. Yeah. It's just really funny. <laughs> And then this woman will go on and do Mandingo. My God, what a career. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> what a career. Uh, just those three movies alone. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's it for today with this extremely fun for us, anyway, <laughs> uh, uh, episode of Video Archives Podcast. We will see you next time. Arrivederci. Bye-bye. Sunny. <laughs> The Video Archives podcast is hosted by Quentin Tarantino and Roger Avery and produced by Josh Richmond and Gala Avery. Our engineer is Devin Torrey Bryant and our executive producers are Colin Anderson and Natalie Muellen. Find out more about the show by heading to videoarchivespodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Video Archives and on Instagram at Video Archives Pod. Despite me sharing the same last name with this charity, I don't have any affiliation with it, besides the fact that the issue is very near and dear to my heart. Did you know that in the United States, 2.7 million children currently have a parent in prison, and it's estimated that 10 million children have experienced parental incarceration at some point in their lives? I was one of these kids, and as an adult, I am really grateful to be able to give back to Project Avery. Their mission is to build leadership from within by supporting community through programs such as mentoring and outdoor education, and also to remove the stigma surrounding having a parent that's incarcerated. You don't have to feel alone. If you know a kid who could use these resources or would like to donate money or time to the charity, please go to Project Avery, that's A-V-A-R-Y dot org, to check out what this amazing charity is all about. Again, that's projectavery.org. Thank you guys from the bottom of my heart. Want to know what your favorite writers, directors, actors, and photographers are secretly interested in? Check out The Gala Show, where each week a guest of my choosing brings an entirely new topic to the mic, and it can be anything they want to discuss. The catch? They only have 30 minutes. Join me, your reporter on the beat, Gala Avery, every Thursday for a new discussion on The Gala Show, available wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) 